0: Steve is a dead man walking because when Austin 316 meets Pillman, oh my God! God.
1: God. Oh my God!
0: I'm gonna
2: blow his uterus straight there, to hell. He's Steve Austin's out there now, man. What?
3: <laughs> Are we gonna see? Shawn Michaels, the, the risk taker. Shawn Michaels, uh, you know, the flamboyant superstar. You're right, We are. You're going to see me take
0: a whole hell of a lot more risk. I'm going to be more flamboyant. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's what got me to be the number one man in the World Wrestling Federation because I used to slap people around and kick their teeth in when I felt like it. Well, that's exactly what I'm going to do. If i got to gouge an eye, I'll gouge an eye. If i got to kick you in the teeth, I'll kick you in the teeth. I'm going to do what I want when I want, and if somebody wants to do something about it, just try me anytime, because I've had enough. As the old saying goes, and I know you've heard it a million times, but believe me when I tell you, no more Mr. Nice Guy. I can play as dirty as anybody. Just ask around. We are the nation of domination. Nation of domination.
2: We are the nation. I'm alive and in color. Don't diss the man. Overbone, oh, brush your mother. Now listen what I'm saying. It's for real, not playing. Farouk is the man. Hit your knees and start praying. Nation, nation. got power like a bear, but quick like the cat. Put two and two together, do your face on the map. You count the stars while the refs count three. Hope you like the look and cause that's all you're gonna see. We are the nation. He's harder than a rock.
4: Hello, my name is Bob Bamber, and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, going back in the time machine to November of 1996 for Volume 1 of this month's show. Four volumes for you this month. Volume 2 takes us to WCW, looking at World War 3. Volume 3 to ECW, looking at November to remember. And in a special Volume 4, we step away from the world of wrestling and look at boxing, the Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield fight. We're here for Volume number 1, looking at the WWF and Survivor Series. I'm being joined firstly by, it. welcome back, Colin Jenkins. Colin, Hello. Hello. And all right, from Canada, Jeff Parker. Jeff, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Bob. Uh, Jeff, kick us off with the news.
1: All right. The WWF's attempt to create some noise in their new earlier time slot was met with mixed response following a controversial angle involving Brian Billman pulling a gun on Stone Cold Steve Austin at his home on November 4th. The show, which was otherwise pre-taped uh, long in advance, was frequently interrupted as they returned to Kentucky where they had a film crew. Pillman said when Austin 316 meets Pillman's nine millimeter gun, I'm gonna blow his sorry ass straight to hell. They lost the fee at the at right at the moment Austin broke into the home, and it was only returned right towards the end of the show when Austin and Pillman, with Austin and Pillman being separated by a group of Pillman's friends. While the USA network were not aware that Pillman Brian Pillman was going to swear live on the air, it was not edited out on the West Coast version of the show.
5: Psycho Sid is the new WWF champion, defeating Shawn Michaels in the main event at a Survivor Series at Madison Square Garden. The story of the match, as much of the deteriorating reception of Michaels as anything else, finished after Shawn tended to Jose Lafario on the outside after Sid hit him with a television camera. In the other big match of the evening, Bret Hart defeated Stone Cold Steve Austin in 24 minutes after Bret pinned while being in a submission hold with the old Roddy Piper WrestleMania 8 finish. The Undertaker defeated Mankind in the other singles match, whilst newcomers Doug Furness and Phil LaFon survived in their match. Debbie Tom Rock in my video was the sole survivor in his, and the other eight-man match went to a no-contest disqualification.
1: The 1997 Royal Rumble will be held at the 72,000-seat Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Texas, and will be headlined by Shawn Michaels facing the WWF world champion. Plans for In Your House next month will see Bret Hart face Sid after Hart earned a title shot against Austin. Given both men's ties to the area, the story will be both Shawn Michaels, but also, judging by Raw at the end of this month, Jose Lothario. The belief being that this... that. The belief being that story will play out exactly like the Rocky film with Lothario having a serious heart problem following the pay-per-view. There is also talk that they will black out the pay-per-view in and around the San Antonio area.
5: Mr. Perfect is reportedly on his way to WCW, having effectively blindsided the WWF, having turned down the opportunity to return to the ring. It said that the WWF went behind Hennig's back and potentially cost him a six-figure lump sum from his Lloyds of London insurance policy. Beyond that, it simply said Hennig's decision was out of revenge and that he does plan to return to the ring when he arrives in Atlanta. The WWF did manage to stop a rumoured appearance by Perfect on Nitro in November. It's much more likely he'll debut early next year when his WWF contract expires.
1: Randy Savage's return to the WWF looks unlikely with the two sides seemingly too far apart. It's said that the WWF want to sign guys to long three-plus-year contracts, but that Savage's shelf life probably wouldn't warrant that much money for that long of a time period. The opposite thought was not wanting to sign Savage to a short-term deal, only for him to return to WCW immediately afterwards. His current status with WCW is still not clear. He hasn't been, he hasn't been featured on television since Halloween
5: Havoc. Vince McMahon has sent out a promo to talent in the last week of October regarding changes to the WWF's drug test policy. It said that the existing policy wasn't cost-effective or necessary and that going forward the policy will still enable them to test anyone at any time should they wish to plans for a new saturday night television show called shotgun saturday night are coming together they just need to find someone who will actually air it and there was also rumors going around regarding monday night raw talk that the show might end up being moved to midnight rumors are they are rumors are all they are at the moment mind you
4: sorry that was uh, yeah. that was uh, cock up with my, uh, my, my writing a bit there anyway just a quick reminder to everyone that we are of course now on Patreon you can for five bucks a month get early access to some shows you can blame Network Rail for the fact that we didn't get access to more than one show this month given that I ended up editing almost everything today um, but yes for five bucks a month if you'd like to say thank you just for contributing to your lives in some way shape or form you can find the Patreon links in the description to this show on our website wrestling20rs.com or by going to 20 yrs Now on to the ratings for the month. Four wins for Nitro in the Monday night ratings, specifically important due to Raw now being up against the first hour rather than the second. First air, the move on November the 4th, Raw did a 2.3 to Nitro's 3.4 uh, with the Austin Pillman angle. Uh, November the 11th, Nitro did a 3.7 to Raw's 2.5. On November the 18th, the night after Survivor Series, Raw dropped to a 2.4 and Nitro to a 3.2. And on November the 25th, Raw did a 2.1 to Nitro's 3.1. It will come as a little surprise that WCW are now front-loading Nitro, and the hour where Raw is on, the ratings are a lot closer. On the 11th, for example. Nitro finish on a 4.4 rating, having started with a 2.7. The rating jumped 0.7 right after Raw went off the air. Now, normally at this point we cut into some promos, but we're basically just going to do a quite quite live review of the first show of the month um, because quite a lot happens. Colin, um, what did you? Yeah, we're going to go through. It. I'm going to read through my TV notes and we'll we'll kind of pick pick bits off as we get to it. What did you think of this show?
5: Um, we're talking about Austin and Pillman. That would be the one. Yeah, it's just, it's a completely different direction for Raw. Um, it, it's it flabbergasted me that they they were allowed to show it. Um, I don't know how much USA actually knew of what they were going to be airing, but it was something that it's it seems to have completely taken WWF out of their comfort zone. I don't think they really knew how to handle what they were showing. Um, I thought that the cut in between the show and uh, Pillman's house was quite awkward. Um, but it's it, it could end up being fascinating for WWF.
4: In what sense? What, as in this kind of storytelling going forward, or just the yeah, storyline I mean, it's, itself?
5: It's so much more edgy than they have ever done before. I mean, it's... it's it's so much different. It's it's more than just black and white. I mean, they've gone from, uh, it's literally shoved WWF new generation and, you know, the gimmicky wrestling that we've seen in the past. And now all of a sudden there's somebody pulling a gun on someone. It's so far removed from what WWF have done ever before. I, I just think it, it's an interesting direction that they've decided to take themselves.
1: Jeff. Yeah. You know, it, it got my attention. (laughs) um, I think if you look at the the television landscape right now, if you, when I saw this, I thought of uh, Fox's Cops. You know the show, uh, kind of very cinema verite, uh, which I don't think you'd ever hear WWF referred to in the same sentence before. Um, you know, if you think of Jerry Springer, if you think of the X-Files and that type of Fox mentality of just edgier, in-your-face, more crass, more ECW almost, um, you know, it, it, it seems to be the type of trend uh, that they looked at when they shot this angle. Austin is edgy. Hillman's certainly edgy. Um, I, I think the gun, what, like, within a pro wrestling confine, the gun was too far, but if you consider the time slot they're in, um, violence with the handgun is not, is not an anomaly on, on television, so I, I think it could be con- considered as, you know, faux controversy or false outrage because it's, I mean, it's, 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 it's a work, right? I mean, no one's actually going to get shot. And if it adds to the dramatic element of the show, all the more better. And if it gets people talking and it, you know, if it works, it works. I, you know, the only issue I would see is that it just feels very, uh, I don't want to say desperate because I, I kind of liked it. I kind of felt real. And I, again, when you juxtapose it with what WWF usually does, it, it was a nice, refreshing change. But it did come across as, you know, very starkly different from the rest of their show, the rest of their programming.
4: Yeah, I think my my biggest thing of the whole thing was I, I'm not sure it really achieved anything. Like it was uh, it was just like pull, pulling a pulling a gun out for the sake of pulling a gun out. I'm not sure what the the kind of wider purpose behind any of it was. I mean, you know, we're talking about the the idea was you know broad stroke, but since Bret Hart returned was to build up Steve Austin for a match with Bret Hart and they kind of did that on the Raw at the end of October and went through that last month and then Bret Hart didn't appear on any television for the the, the, the two weeks prior to this either and so the aim was to try and get Austin over as this, or killer I guess you'd say, maybe, maybe not the best choice of words given that Pillman had begun but at the end of it, like I Colin, I don't know who I don't know who benefited from this. Like, you know, Brian Pills are going to be out for X number of months. So it's not like they can, not like they can jump off the back of this and make a, you know, a huge splash next month. Say, and I don't know that Austin looked great. We had the, well, we'll come to it in a minute, but I, I Colin, what, what do you think about that? Well, I, I
5: agree with you. I mean, we all, we know that Pillman's going to be gone for a while. So there's, there's no payoff for Austin and Pillman's confrontation. Um, The way Austin was portrayed, you know, uh, stalking around his house and um, attacking Pillman's friends, some of the worst feeding you'll ever see. Um, But, I mean, this was all on the same show where you had um, Sal Sincere against Jesse James. You know, really really gimmicky stuff. I can't understand it. It doesn't work for me in that sense, but...
4: That that wasn't the biggest juxtaposition on this show. We'll get to that in a minute. I
5: know, um, I think... Austin searching out uh, Pillman obviously made him look a bit crazy. Pillman with a gun obviously looks crazy. Um, I sort of felt the impression that Austin came off a little. I know he was running away, from, supposedly running away from a gun, which, you know, everybody would do, but he ran away. They're trying to put him across as this badass, but he ran away.
4: He did have a gun, though.
5: That's what i said. saying. He did have a gun, but to me, I, I, I took from it that Austin ran it's it's silly i know but that's what i took from it
4: i wouldn't be my biggest but anyway i, I will start reading through my notes from the show there are a lot uh and we'll, <laughs> we'll come to uh we'll come to bits as we get to them anyway we're the show with kevin kelly outside of brian pillman's house he says pillman's children have been taken to their grandparents as a result of what might happen tonight Comes out flanked by a Survivor Series team. Yeah, yeah, we talk about this. Like, like the, This is a really weird show as a whole, just because in the midst of all this really strong stuff, he's just got really mundane wrestling. Yeah, um, yeah. Comes out flanked by a Survivor Series team ahead of his match with Goldust. We get a picture in picture with Doc Hendricks. He says he's been contacted by Steve Austin, who's left Cincinnati Airport, and he wants to
3: talk to Vince. Vince, Jerry. What? Listen, I hate to interrupt this wait, match. Wait, I know it looks like it's me, going Doc, to be a great Doc, one. Is that you? Yes, it's got- me. I'm in the studio, live on the phone. I just I'm contacted by Stone Cold Steve Austin. He says he's in a rental car, has left the Cincinnati Airport, is headed to Brian Pillman's, and he wants to talk to you, Vinnie Mac. Ooh. Do, do you have him hey, on the am phone? Am I on the air? Yes, you are. Steve, yeah. The, Steve Austin. Yeah. Are you actually in the car on the way to Mr. Pillman's house?
2: Damn right! I said I was going to be last week, and anything I say comes true, Vince. You know that. I'm the biggest star in the world, so who's going to stop (laughs) me?
3: What are your intentions? I don't understand why. Why are you going? To Brian Pillman's house.
2: Hey, he's the one that brought this whole mess on. He took my interview time, tried to turn it into a shrine to worship, read the hitman heart, and inspired a new verse out of the book of Austin. Austin 2517. I will strike down upon your
3: ass with great vengeance and furious anger, and that's what's going to happen. Mr. Austin, I must warn you there is a welcoming committee there. Ryan Pillman has his friends around that house. It is not wise for you to go there.
2: And I got a six-pack of Wolf-Ass riding shotgun with me, son. Remember, don't intimidate me in the least bit. If I got something to do, then it's going to get done. Stone Cold. Stone Cold. listen, is the king. Listen, that idiot Pillman threatened last week said he's going to have a gun there. Alright, knock it off. Well, he, he said that. He got the guts. Right. I'll do whatever it takes to get my hands on Pillman. You'll find out.
3: Mr. Austin, we're Watch talking that. about trespass here. We're not talking about something in the rustling world. We're talking about trespass if you make good on your promise.
2: Well, listen, Vince. If something happens to me, I'm sure you'll make amends for it because I'm a big star. I'm in the big matches Survivor Series. You can't do without me. I can do whatever I want and I've got the mindset and i am ticked off enough and I don't really give a rat's ass, I will do what I say,
4: regardless of the consequences. Austin is in on the phone. He says he will strike down upon Pillman's ass with great vengeance and furious anger. Vince war What was that? He just watched Pulp Fiction the night before, obviously. Well, there we go. Vince warns in that Pillman has had his house surrounded by his friends. Austin simply replies I've got a six-pack of whoop-ass riding shotgun with me. King brings up Pillman threatening to have a go on him Austin says he doesn't have the guts at the commercial we get a really nice video montage of Steve Austin in a warehouse he says he ain't no sexy boy but Bret Hart will know he was beaten by a real man The Stalker Gold Dust match ends up as a double disqualification as the Survivor Series teams break down on the outside. We see a clip from the Big Bang Boom Tour. Undertaker manages to speak over the arena audio system and says this is what he has planned for Bearer. Cage gets low from the ceiling and it comes, as the cover comes off, a Bearer-type body is hanging in it upside down.
1: Yes, uh, Vince, it's a very tense scene here in suburban Cincinnati tonight. Brian, I have to ask you, After the unprovoked savage attack last week on WWF superstars, you had, I understand, reconstructive surgery once again on your ankle. Can you give us the prognosis? What have the doctors told you about your recovery?
0: Look, Kelly, I'm alive and well. I got an excellent prognosis for 97. But let's talk about Mr. Austin's prognosis. I've been in bitter feuds many, many times in this sport. There's a fine line between business and private lives. Austin, you've crossed that line. You've made this personal. And now we're operating a whole different set of rules.
1: And, Brian, we heard earlier that uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin could be on his way to your home here tonight. Uh, I you
3: Actually, can't move? Can't, if I can interject this, uh, I am, so I'm told that, uh, in fact, that we have uh, Mr. Austin circling the neighborhood. And I just wonder oh. whether or not, from your standpoint, uh, Mr. Pillman, if you can hear me, it seems to me that considering your vulnerability with your wife Melanie, and well, Steve Austin's very vulnerable as well. His rage
0: has blinded him to the fact that his best friend knows him better
3: than anybody. Do you feel it? His strengths, his weaknesses, and certainly his fears. Notwithstanding your bravado, do you feel a hostage? you feel like you're a hostage in your own home tonight? Yeah.
0: Steve is a dead man walking because when Austin 316. Meets Pillman! Oh
1: my god! god. god.
4: Oh my
1: god.
4: I'm gonna his he's, service he's out straight to what We visit Pillman inside his home. He says Austin has made things personal. Vince interjects and says that there are reports Austin is circling the neighbourhood. Pillman says he knows Austin's strengths and his fears, and that Austin three hundred sixteen is gonna meet this. And with that he actually pulls out a gun. We follow that with a wonderfully appropriate segue into a karate fight as quarterfinal heat between Sid and Sable. You cannot make that up. We return from commercial and Austin is brawling with some of Pillman's friends. He even puts one of them in a paddling pool full of water or like a kids play pool and leaves them laying. Um, Jeff, I, you know, there's there's enough to talk about with that that kind of opening fifteen of the of the Pelman stuff, but the, the 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 thing that I remembered probably almost as much as the gun was like everything cutting and then we cut to a karate fighter's commercial.
1: Yeah, it's it's. I mean, you want to sell a toy to kids and then have that. I mean, it's 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 WWF at its most uh, contradictory and like. I don't know. I, I think when they're going up against WCW right now, they're trying to differentiate themselves in so many different ways. But Vince's, you know, knee-jerk mentality is to always go to the big guys, try to get the cartoon superhero characters over, and it's, and, and you're going to get stupid stuff like marketing toys and then going to, you know, a a scene from Cape Fear.
4: <laughs> Jeff, what, what does... What does Brian Pillman pulling out a gun do for anybody? Austin, Pillman, well, or WWE? Let me ask you this, Bob. Uh Who's the world champion right now? Uh At
1: this point or at the end of the month? At, at this point, during Raw. Sure, Michael. Who are we talking about right now? Brian Pillman. Brian Pillman. Brian Pillman is the same Brian Pillman who thought he could maybe get some uh, extra publicity by handcuffing himself to the field goal post at last year's Super Bowl to get attention while he was trying to work WCW and WWF off each other for the best contract. This guy wants, he knows the game. He is a consummate worker. I actually picked up a book called uh, The Big Con, which is this really cool uh, uh, confidence scheme book from the 1930s that Pillman has read back-to-back to really understand how to get a good work down. Everything Pillman does has method and motive. And to, to do the gun, to, even when he's out, you know, there isn't gonna be a payoff anytime soon, but he's made himself relevant despite that. And now, you know, you have Michael's fighting Sid with this Rocky Balboa type stuff on the side, but no one cares because there's a gun in Brian Pillman, even though the guy can't even work. I think it's I think he has manipulated the situation so people talk about him and he's very good friends with Steve Austin and who comes across as the biggest active star now? Steve Austin. So I think they accomplished what those two set out to accomplish.
4: Colin, thoughts on that and just on the segment so far?
5: Um, I just don't get it, to be honest. um, Pillman has always been an attention seeker. He's always known how to work people. Everybody's talking about him. And, you know, the main event angle is Sid versus Shawn Michaels. But everybody's talking about Pillman pulling the gun. It's all about exposure. It's about shock tactics. Vince wants eyes on the product and away from WCW and he's obviously seen this as a way of doing it
4: yeah couldn't necessarily disagree with uh, any of that. We move on. Austin attempts to get in through the front door, but it's locked. He continues around the side of the building. We, of course, at this point, cut back to Raw for a match between the Sultan and a promo from Bob Backlund. The atmosphere is pretty subdued, although I'm pretty sure they're not watching this. In fact, no, they can't be because it's not live. What am I about? Um, so, yeah, the atmosphere is pretty subdued. But obviously Raw take three weeks ago. They can't be seeing something that's shot live. Yeah, you know, not because they could have done if it, that would have been pretty taped as well. Uh, Salton Winter Scrush, and we're promised to go back to Cincinnati. Why even leave, is, was my question. Austin breaking in by smashing a door. Austin wanders in to find Pillman pointing a gun at him, and we lose the feed at that exact moment. Um, Colin, I, I, I think this was, pr- this was, well, I, mean, I, I, I probably don't break much ground to say this. This was the, the strongest point of the, of the segment itself, I, I'm guessing they kind of had to lose the feed because then the the well because otherwise it would have been the case of what's next. But it you know it felt a little anticlimactic.
5: I mean, for what it was very short after that uh, incredible match between the Sultan and what I think his name was named the Pug
4: was it? The... Uh, Alex Porteau wasn't it? Yeah,
5: I think they actually flashed up his name as the Pug, which made no sense. Um. It was very short. They they had to do something like lose the feed because where do they go from Pillman pointing a gun straight at Austin, straight at, you know, it's basically to his face, to his face and chest area. They had to do something to leave a lot to your imagination. And as controversial as showing the gun was, they also needed an out because, you know, like I said, what do you do apart from showing him shoot the gun?
4: Yeah. Yeah, no, I suppose that's right. Jeff, thoughts thoughts on this bit? Was it was it strong enough? Yeah, I think. I mean,
1: if it's a male soap opera, you got to tune in next week to see something. So you give them a cliffhanger, and they hopefully, if it if it gets enough uh, interest, they people will tune in to see the results.
4: Yeah. The, the the results yeah that, that that's what way of putting it i suppose yeah the uh the aftermath i suppose uh, i'm gonna go out on a limb and say that this sid sean segment doesn't feel all that important right now raw technically isn't live but this still feels a bit weird anyway we cut back to an in-ring promo chat with Shawn michaels and sid chaired by jim ross sean calls him a bit crazy sid says first up first of all That's bullshit. Sean then tells Sid he needs to thank him for a spot in the WWF. Sid said he made a mistake with the confrontation last week. Sean says they made up. Vince then interrupts and says they've got a feedback from Cincinnati. Oh, no, they haven't. Uh, Sean says Sid isn't in his league. Sid says, that's right, I'm not in the little league. Sean Michaels then channels Ric Flair, as the saying goes, to beat the, to be the man, you've gotta beat the man. Pelion gets flattened, they're about to brawl, and Jim Cornette comes out as Vader, Owen Hart, and Bulldog come out. Owen hits Sid with a chair, but Michaels grabs the chair as the other three run off. Sid comes to, sees Michaels with the chair, and thinks Michaels did it. Um, Jeff, I, I think if there was one big loser of this show, it was this angle feeling almost completely irrelevant.
1: Yeah, it's it's not the main focus. It's I think it's undermined by the fact that both are baby babyfaces. Uh, undermined by the Austin film thing, certainly, but uh, just the 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 feud itself going into one of the big four pay per views. It's just it's lacking a lot of intensity, or or, or even though it's for the title, it lacks it lacks maybe consequence. I don't know. It just it just doesn't
5: feel hot. Colin, there's no way that this angle could feel hot. After showing someone point a gun at someone's face, <laughs> I mean, we know that Raw was pre-taped, and I mean, they've tried to fit in this Austin angle around everything that they've shot already. But this match just—I mean, it's for the WWF Championship, and it should be for the—you know—it should be the focal point of the show. But like you said, it just doesn't feel like it's—it's not—it's not hitting the bases. To, who cares? Go back to Cincinnati. That's all, that's all the people really want to see.
4: Yeah, I, I thought it was a flat segment anyway. I mean, Sid's, so Sid's entertaining in a, like, you're not drawing any money with this kind of way, but in a, Sid's just so out there that it kind of works. Um, but the whole feud has been, um, and it's, you know, Bayface matches rarely work. We rarely see, we saw a Bayface match in Shaw Michaels Bret Hart that, I don't think worked about eight or nine months ago, certainly in terms of the build. And it's just very difficult to tell a story when you're trying to build it on a bit of respect. They're trying to give Sid a bit of an edge, but he's not, he's not a strong enough promo to really execute a a kind of piece of, a piece of storytelling that complex. Um, and Sean's just sure. I mean, we're going to see some more attitude from him at the end, but while he's trying to be, you know, nice guy babyface just doesn't work anyway the main event is Razor Ramon versus Mark Merrow Vince establishes a phone connection with one of the crew called Kerwin they're in the truck the power went down they say and the lights are all out in the house Kerwin says he heard a couple of noises that sounded like explosions Vince finally says that everyone's safety is more important than the feed fucking at last Vince (laughs) wants to know if the (laughs) authorities you you think like at any point during the show just go we hope everyone's okay we're sorry this got out of control finally 40 minutes in we got there. Uh, Vince wants to know if the authorities have been called. Razor hits a razor's edge and pins Marrow off for distraction from Hunter Herselsley and Mr. Perfect. We finally get back live to Cincinnati. Uh, sorry, to Kentucky, rather. Pillman's being held back by his friends. We finish the show with Austin and Pillman being pulled apart. And at this point, Pillman also says fucking, but it's very, very faint. But that was what the, the swearing was in relation to. Um, Colin, I mean, it, it, even in the in the confines of this 50-minute show in this storyline, did it fall a bit flat at the end? Like, it felt like they that they had this really strong bit of a cut, and then we kind of got back and not much happened. I felt like they needed a stronger follow-up, although I don't know what that could have been. Well,
5: I mean, when you eventually go back, we first you get the recap of what's already happened, because, you know, because they lost the feed. Rather than actually show you what happened... Maybe they could have shown you what happened, the feed that they lost. No, no, they showed you what happened already, and then the feed cut out again. But okay. And then you go back, Pillman's being held down by his friends that nobody's ever seen or heard of, and then Austin comes back in again, shouting the odds and getting pulled away. It was just, they didn't need to go back again. It just, it seemed, it it killed it a little bit. They could have, should have just left it where the feed went out and then you come back next week and we'll have some more information.
4: And the show, have... the show goes off the air with Razor Ramon celebrating.
5: What? what? <laughs> yeah, let's, 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 poor Mark Merrow getting pinned by fake Razor.
4: Yeah, that as well. That as well. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, it's kind of right. Would, would we have been better not going back compared to the, the, how we finished?
1: Um, I think there was a contrived uh, effort on the part of Titan Sports to make sure that there was an F word dropped. And to make sure there was a lot of explicit stuff done, whether it was the the screaming, the use of the gun, one more time, they wanted to get their bang for their buck. Because let's put it like this: if this gets controversy, and all of a sudden, you know, the parents groups and the karate fighters sponsors start pulling out, they've got this one week that they can go to. Okay, it's better to ask forgiveness than for ask ask permission, right? So. From my point of view, I think that they just wanted to get the bang for their buck out of this angle because if it works, they can point to the ratings and say it worked. If it doesn't work, well, they did it once and they did it to the, you know, if they overkilled it, they overkilled it. But, you know, I, I think they I think they just wanted to get as much out of it as
4: possible. I, I wouldn't disagree, but did they at the end?
1: I think when you have an F-bomb on TV, uh, even if it's kind of, you know, semi-challenging to decipher, You've, you've put across something that you're not supposed to hear. It's that it's that blurred lines type deal. Is it real? or I mean, obviously, it's...
5: it's yeah, a, mean, somebody uh, at some point is going to go, did you, did you see WWF last night? Somebody swore.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, and if you caught it, you're like, whoa, you know, he wasn't supposed to say that. And then you get that, that extra kind of special feel. Like, imagine if Shawn Michaels had said something, it's like, wow, Shawn Michaels said that. No, we're talking about Brian Pillman. We're talking about Austin. So I think, you know, whatever controversy comes out of this... Um, you know, I think I think everything was manipulated for a reason. You know, you hear Vince had flown out there to see how everything had been staged. Uh, I, I think this was all very purposefully done to get the controversy and, and whether or not the payoff at the end of the episode worked, um, I think it was deliberately done so.
4: Yeah, they had to go back. Um you know and just kind of right this isn't the kind of thing you can leave until next week you can't you can't reset something like this they had to have something i just don't know whether they needed to have something more i don't know what that could have been um it was difficult to follow up on uh, go
5: on i'll say more than a gun <laughs>
4: Well no, at the, at the end, as in, in the, oh, the, okay, final, okay, the final, the sure. final segment. Yeah, no, I don't mean overall, I just meant in terms of how they finished, it just felt, it, like, compared to what we saw earlier, the, the, the final 30 seconds of the scene felt a little flat. I agree with Jeff, The the swearing was... I think deliberate i i don't think there's much doubt about that you, uh, you 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 can you can bleak that out you you can bleak that out live if you want to there are ways and means of doing that, but you can certainly edit it out of the the feed that airs on the west coast if you want to um but it is a it is a little strange in my mind and maybe as someone who if you listen to the regular show, you'll know I swear quite a bit anyway. But maybe it's a little weird in my mind that Brian Pillman saying the word fucking was a stronger story coming out of this show than Brian Pillman having a gun. That to me is a little bit strange, but I I, I sort of understand what, what that kind of logic. Um but yeah, like I, I I just got to the end of the show and it's like, what Colin, what did we achieve here? Like did you know Pillman Pillman got some eyes on himself fair enough but he's not going to be around to cash in on that kind of stuff for a while in terms of apparently he got got injured during this angle apparently he did his knee in in this angle amongst everything else Um, well well, that that as well but was was Austin portrayed strongly enough here to make this worthwhile in terms of what's coming up 11, 12, days later 13 days later
5: well I mean they got across that, you know, Austin, if he doesn't like you, he's he's not willing to wait for the wrestling show. He's willing to go to your house and confront you. You know, he's, they're trying to make it... They're trying to put him across as real as possible. And, I mean, I know it's a wrestling show, it's all worked, but they want you to believe that if you piss Stone Cold off, he's going to come and find you and sort you out. And that's what they've tried to get across. I mean, the whole Pillman and the Gun thing... I, I, it doesn't. It serves no purpose other than putting eyes on the WWF product. I don't think that helped Austin at all. But you know, WWF—they're just trying to. They've—they've they've put Stone Cold out there. They've then put the eyes on the product with the gun placement, and he was involved in that angle. So he will still get spoken about. So I suppose that's what they've tried to do. Jeff?
1: Yeah, I, I think Austin comes off. I mean. I think I think he comes off as a violent serious guy. Um he's going up against like their ultimate baby face and Brett. So you have good versus evil. You have this guy and you know, he does he's the guy that's coming to the house. There's a gun in the house and he's kicking down the door. He's menacing. Uh I think it served off Austin in the case where, you know, when represented by everybody else on the show, he he certainly comes across as special and different. Um I mean, just looking at the way they ended this angle, I mean, the only thing they could have done was something like, you know, if Pillman had done what, what, uh, Keon Reeves does in point break, where he doesn't actually shoot the guy, he just shoots into the ceiling, like, it would be something so silly and contrived, like, they thought I, I was reading, they could have shot off blanks or something, I mean, they were kind of written themselves into a corner by using a gun in a wrestling, uh, angle, but, uh, overall, I think, I, I think it sets up Pillman down the road, again, he's, he knows what his stock is. It might not be until he can be healed six, eight months from now or whatever, but he's in in it for the long haul, and I think think both these guys worked themselves into an angle for down the line.
4: Yeah. um, I, I think there was... The MO of this story was to try and create shock value and was to try and give it something moving to a new time slot. I think it did that. I think it probably did that at the expense of the guys involved not that they not that they were affected detrimentally, but more that you could have tweaked how they told the story and had a less shocking angle, but one that perhaps was more story driven in terms of the immediate future. On the whole though, it's got us doing a twenty odd minute review of the show and it got a lot of people talking. Whether that was positive long term or not, it's bet it's more it's the it's the role we're gonna remember from this year more than any other. Um, that's worth something, if nothing else. Um, and and Pillman is stronger as a result. I think Austin is just about stronger as a result. Even if it time perhaps would have been better spent building up him and Bret Hart, certainly in the short term. I think from that, it's uh, it, it's just about two thumbs up. Raw on November the 11th begins with no update whatsoever on the Pillman-Austin situation. I suppose in theory we're supposed to watch the syndicated television at the weekend to find out more. Anyway, we're going in hot with Owen and Bulldog against Sid and Shawn Michaels for the tag titles. Oh, and here's Austin on split screen. He's apologising for nothing. Michaels, thankfully, carries much of the match. Michaels, of course, ends up grazing Sid with a switch in music. The looks a bit shit. Iron pulls Michaels out the ring and Bulldog pins Sid to retain the titles. Mankind wins a squash over Freddie Joe Floyd. Undertaker's gong hits and a cage descends from the ceiling with a surprisingly decent-looking Paul Bearer body hanging upside down inside. We get a nice video package with Rocky Maivia talking about his heritage. We even see him induct his dad into the Cauliflower Alley Club. He wants to get by on his style, not on his heritage. We've got a from Sid, who says that Shawn Michaels' incidents with him recently have been no accident. Shawn, after the commercial, cuts a pissed off promo in response. we get a shockingly long match between Stone Cold Steve Austin and Bob Holly. Jim Ross makes the most of the time by ragging on Vince for not calling the names of Moose. Austin ends the show outside of Brett's locker room, but he says that if you want to see the match, you're going to have to pay for it. Someone is stealing my lines because this is the match of the decade. And we come back in for our review of Survivor Series. Colin, can you kick us off with the results?
5: In a traditional Survivor Series match, Furness, Lafon and the Godwins defeated Owen Hart, British Bulldog and the New Rockers with Furnace and Lafon being your Survivors. The Undertaker defeated Mankind. Then the team of Mark Merrow, Rocky Maivia, Jake Roberts, and The Stalker. They defeated Crush, Jerry Lawler, Hunter Hurst Helmsley, and Goldust, with Rocky Maivia being the sole survivor. Brett the Hitman Heart defeated Stone Cold Steve Austin to determine the number one contender to the Dodo Championship. Then we had Farouk Vader, Razor Ramon, and Diesel taking on Flash Funk, Jimmy Snooker, Xavier Vega, and Yokozuna all ended in a double disqualification. In the main event, Psycho Sid defeated Shawn Michaels to become the WWF champion. Jeff,
1: what
4: do you think of this show?
1: I really enjoyed uh, four of the matches. Uh, I thought the Brett Austin match was probably the best WWF match of the year and one of the best North American matches of the year. I enjoyed the opening tag match. Uh, I thought Taker and, and Mankind worked really well together. And... um you know, the other two survivor matches, I thought Rocky Maia came off strong. I thought Helmsley and Gold, uh, Goldust and Lawler's team, uh, those were the three names that actually, Helmsley, Lawler, and Goldust, because I didn't, wasn't particularly impressed with Crush. I liked that match. Uh, the big Schmoz DQ match, blah, and I, I wasn't really a fan of the main event, but, um, altogether, I thought it was a pretty fun match to watch. It was easy viewing.
5: Cool, uh, The show was okay. It was alright. Uh, like I said, I enjoyed the first match. I liked Undertaker Mankind. Um, Brett and Stone Cold was a fantastic match in my eyes. The DQ for the 4 and 4 with Farouk and Vade. I mean, I don't understand why it ended up in a note, a double DQ. It was um, Diesel that came in and smashed. Um, snooker on the back of a chair first. And then
4: well, it, it did in no contest, wasn't it? Because yeah, Diesel yeah. hit snooker with the chair and he got disqualified and the whole thing just broke down, the ref threw the match yeah, I
5: out. Yeah, that, that happened and then Savio Vega come running back out with a chair and everybody was just swinging and the referee just threw the whole thing out. Um,
4: I or, wouldn't read that much into it.
5: No, but it's, I, I, I wasn't a fan of the ending, but then... It was funny seeing Snooker at his age get smashed across the back of a steel chair. I mean, I mean Diesel properly smashed him across the back with a chair as well. It wasn't a, he didn't pull any punches. Um, Psycho Sid and Shawn Michaels was, was what it was. Um, Sid, I think I think Sid was getting the better responses than Shawn Michaels. Uh, oh, once.
4: unquestionably, yeah. And then,
5: but the ending with hitting uh, Jose LaFaro with the camera. Uh, but it was, it was very weak in my eyes
4: this was a good show um not without its faults um uh, uh, as we've said but i, I kind of think the the negatives on, on this show were short enough and forgettable enough where you get to the end and there's enough good where you're like this was a good show like you know i, I wouldn't read too much into the eight man tag that kind of I uh, you know it it felt like they were rushed for time but equally like the way the match came across like it felt like they were about 15 minutes short so i don't necessarily know whether it was just time cues that caused the change or whether they just went we were going to have something break down anyway and as it was we just were a bit short on time so we sped it up a bit um, but there's there, there's there's three quite memorable matches on this card um, and you can't say that about very many WWF pay-per-views this year. Anyway, we start with the first of three Survivor Series tag matches of the evening. It's Owen Hart, the British Bulldog, Leif Cassidy and Marty Gennetti with Clarence Mason versus Doug Furness, Phil Lafon, known as Dan Crawford and ECW, Henry O. Godwin and Phineas I. Godwin with Hill Billy Jim. We start with Gennetti and Lafon. Lafon flips out of a monkey flip and levels Gennetti with a big clothesline. Phineas spits up in the air, catches it, and then rubs it in his hair. That's probably the best thing you'll do all match. Still, he's working with Leave Casty, He hits him with a nice body slam. Owen gets in the ring and beats beats on Phineas. He points to the ref in the direction of the onrushing Henry. That's a distraction, so the entire team can attack Phineas, which is quite good. I'm not sure Phineas as the baby face in peril is at all the strongest idea here. I think a small NWO chant breaks out at this point. Vince simply says, Marty Janetti is trying to calm the crowd down. Imagine having Doug Furness and Phil Lafon on your team and spending the opening half working with the Godwins. Anyway... Henry hits a slot drop on Jannetty and Jannetty is eliminated That Sting's finishing now Henry Owen jumps in with a spin wheel kick and Henry Godwin is eliminated Bulldog hits a running power slam and Phineas I Godwin is eliminated this match should pick up now given that Bulldog is the worst worker left in it we get a crossover, and Bulldog actually ducks under a drop kick, which I've never seen before. Uh, Casty hits a throw onto Furnace, who emphatically kicks out. We get another crossover. Furnace jumps over the laying Bulldog and runs into a drop kick from the top from Owen. That just about worked. The heels are using the numbers advantage as they should. Furnace is in peril. Ross quite rightly asks why the second referee on the outside can't see all the heel antics. Baldock hits a lovely storing suplex And does a little flip to celebrate Lafon finally tags in Gets Cassidy on top Hits a belly to back flipping suplex of sorts And Cassidy is eliminated We're down to Furness and LaFont Against the tag champs Owen hits a belly to belly for a two Then a second rub elbow Baldock hits a low punch LaFon uh, crucifies crucifixes Bulldog, rolls him through into a pin, and Bulldog is eliminated. Bulldog responds by shoulder tackling LaFon's knee or the back of it. It's Owen versus LaFon and Furness now. Owen locks in a sharpshooter on Lafon but Owen releases it to stop an attack from the on-rushing Furnace Lafon hits a reverse kick and tries to get a hot tag which he makes Furnace hits a lovely drop kick and then an even more impressive belly to belly suplex and then a lovely release German suplex for the clean win a big pop for that Jeff what do you think of this match? Oh,
1: I thought it was a, a really really good kick off match uh, hard hitting stuff, technically proficient really exciting um You know, really great exchanges. Leaf Cassidy, when he was in there with LaFawn, was fun. Um, You know, my my one critique of this matchup, there actually there were a couple, but the first one was, I mean, I understand Vince wants to get away from the comic book cartoon characters, but there's no way Furnace and LaFawn are ever going to get over with just being two really good, painfully bland, you know, Malenko's for lack of a better word. Um, I was just like, I was kind of gobsmacked with like, they're bringing these guys in and they're giving them a really good you know, push and presentation against the tag champs and they're just you know, they, they reminded me of like Strike Force or, you know, the wild the Wildstones, the young stallions, uh from like the eighties, like just two really bland babyface guys. Um Godwin served their purpose. Uh JR really loves his big tough guys. Uh I liked when the spit into the hair deal that, that was kind of cool. Um Owen Hart is sneaky good. Like he is very I mean that's just one of my one of my notes is it's sneaky good how how good Owen Hart is. It's it's sneaky. You know, I felt the commentary dropped a ball when uh, Furnace and Bulldog kind of went face to face because Furnace is a former powerlifting champ and Bulldog has always been touted as one of the strongest wrestlers. Um, You know, Take a shot every time JR Fawns over someone's collegiate football career. And if he did that tonight, uh even with just Doug Furnace alone, you'd be hammered. Um Owen had a really great uh, drop. With, with
4: Rocky by there, you'd be dead, but yeah. Oh my god.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's one of these things where Jim Ross, and I I I took issue with his comment. I, I think he's the best commentator in the business, but tonight I, I felt like he was really hit or miss. Uh he was kind of semi heelish here, and when he was critical of like the referee outside or certain certain things he was doing, it, it didn't enhance the match, and it seemed really aggressive and obnoxious. And and really felt at a place. Uh, you know, the crowd kind of lacked heat because they didn't know who Furnace and LaFon really were until LaFon pinned Davy, and then the finish was great. I mean, they've got a really cool move set, but I just hate their presentation and packaging. But overall, it was a really fun match, and everybody. I mean, Ginetti also got hurt, or it looked like he got hurt in the match early on because it was like he was selling this limp, and it was just it, it seemed pretty. Um,
4: I think he might have been hurt going in. I might have, I might have got yeah, a I, I bit that, like a but bone chip or something, or
1: uh, yeah. It, uh, overall, the match was really good, though. I mean, I, I was. It's a great way to kick off the pay per view. Colin? it.
5: Um, yeah, it was. It was good for a kickoff show. Um, they've obviously, they're obviously investing time into Furnace and LaFon, making them credible challenges to Owen and the Bulldog. Um, but. I agree in a sense that the way they're being presented is not going to do them any favours with a WWF crowd. Um, they didn't really know who there was coming into this match and their first real big impression on a pay-per-view of the two guys, yeah, they won and they were both the survivors, but they are literally just, to, to the WWF fans, they're just going to come across as two good wrestlers. That's it. There's there's nothing else they're going to remember about them. They're they're good wrestlers with a good move set, but they're, they're, there's nothing there's nothing that's going to be memorable to a WWF crowd that at the moment is still very much gimmick orientated.
4: I I think uh, I I can't disagree with the point. But I think at this stage, given that this is effectively their debut, I don't know, they might have appeared on some some syndicated stuff prior. I think technically at this point, we could at least give them the out that, well, they deserve the chance to give them that kind of character. I think the bigger question off the back of that is, will they? And we'll we'll find out. And, you know, they may well not. Um, But to to a small extent, I can excuse them just bringing them in and just putting them in this match. I don't think that's the end of the world. They were more over at the end of the match than they were at the start. And if you want to, you can build a character around these guys over the course of X weeks and months. Whether they will or not is another story, and we'll find that out. I thought this match was as near to perfectly booked a match as you will ever see, and to an extent survivor series tag matches do give you the opportunity of of booking matches in different ways because you can book eliminations and, and numbers of games et etc et etc. But the minute you decided that you were going to have a match with these eight guys, you know you ha you get the Godwins in there, you get their stuff in, and then you eliminate them and they eliminated Janet. and then you get down to five. I was watching at that point and I thought. I don't think they'll do this, but the, the, the way to get the new guys over, or to start getting them over, is to be, have them win this 2-0, at the end of this match, from a, from a 3-2 losing position. And that's exactly what they did. They did it in the right order, Lafon and Furnace looked good, Um from a booking standpoint, it was about as perfect a book match you will ever see. I would, I cannot disagree on the wider point, though, that at the moment those characters are a bit flat. I think we owe them the time to do that, should they want to. We'll see about that. Um, but as the match goes, yeah, very good. I, I thought they 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 all did a very good job, and it feels like we've got a credible match off the back of this now between Owen and the Owen and the Bulldog and uh, and Furnace and the Font. So in that sense, job done. Uh, I I think long story short we get a backstage promo in the dark, it's really dark with Paul Bearer and Mankind and Kevin Kelly Bearer says he's not going in the cage don't think that one's going to work Paul next up it's Mankind with Paul Bearer versus The Undertaker in a match where Paul Bearer will be suspended in a kind of sort of shark cage high above the ring Undertaker descends from the ceiling wearing a bat-like cape that sped up his entrance that's for sure uh, Colin what do you think of the Undertaker's new look more leathery slightly different change of hair new entrance well, bat I mean, wings I mean he's
5: he's had the same look for well it was, it's quite a while now was so it four or five years
4: feels like since he debuted I don't know was it, yeah, was it, it was something different when he started
5: 91 no it was it was, it was the the grey tie thing with grey gloves and then I think he oh, yeah, checked up true. the colour a little bit didn't he? The um, purple. Yeah, the purple. Uh, I th- the Undertaker gimmick, I, I like it, I've always liked it, but it's the sort of thing that is going to get old and he needs to freshen it up a little bit and I think I mean it, it wasn't just like, was like I think it was shiny leather. <laughs> that's what I, kept thinking. I was going to think, wow, that's quite shiny for the Undertaker. Um, and then, yeah, the hairstyle, he's, he, you know, he's just trying to freshen up his look. He's got to try and keep himself relevant and up-to-date, I suppose, as he can with this gimmick.
4: Jeff, we're not here for for fashion advice, but a step in the right direction.
5: Yeah, I thought it was an awesome superstar
1: actress for Tager And, and you know, with the leather, I thought he looked a lot more cooler, a lot more modern and contemporary. Um, it kind of reminded me of, you know, the Metallica remakes after they cut their hair and started wearing a lot more biker, outlaw-type look. Um from their their most recent albums, uh, so yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. It kind of goes in the right direction of him being a little more metal. Um, and it it makes him it, again it just it makes him a little more contemporary, especially if you're going with guys like Stone Cold Steve Austin, who is basically just this you know swearing you know killer, as you said earlier. Uh, and now you have a a dead man. you kind of want to refresh that. So if you make him look a little more metal, a little more edgier himself, it, it it makes it gives the character more longevity. And I thought it was a
4: cool entrance.
5: They did they, they did they did run the risk of making him look a bit like a Batman type person though, didn't they? I think that was the goal.
4: Yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't think it'd necessarily would be the worst thing in the world. But yeah, I mean I, I think you know, more crucially we'll come to the ma- we'll, we'll come to it when we get to the match. I think it also kind of coincided with a slight change of style, which, you know, I, I guess it was more just a, a little facelift for a character that's been around a while um you know the the the, the logic from a storyline perspective is that mankind has bought this out of him bought this kind of changing direction um so that makes sense too yeah i, I think it kind of works i don't know that i'd use the entrance every time say it for say it for big events but it was certainly different as i say it meant he got there a bit quicker so there's always that um i take it attempts to uh, reach through the cage while he's still at ring level that's bare obviously mankind attacks him and they lift up the cage Undertaker hits a drop toe hold, yes, really, then an armbar. Undertaker is working the hand that Mankind usually uses for the mandible claw. We end up in the crowd. Mankind charges at Undertaker, who flips him over the guardrail back into the ringside area. Mankind hits his running somersault dive off of the apron. He then throws Undertaker into the turnbuckle, bounces off, and then just runs Mankind over. Undertaker then just starts biting Mankind's right hand. Mankind hits what I can only describe as a snap pile driver that looked really good or really bad depending on which way you want to look at it Take a block to mandible claw Mankind runs into a big boot and then Taker sets for a tombstone but Mankind slides out Mankind goes for the claw but Undertaker manages to hurl him through the middle ropes Undertaker hits his top rope walking punch Mankind responds with a neckbreaker Ross says maybe the more pain Mankind is in the more effective he is Mankind comes off the top, lands on his feet but Undertaker sets for a chokeslam Mankind puts in the mandible claw and this time it looks decent Undertaker fades, he then shows sign of life at the three count He gets to his feet and hits a chokeslam and does a flip dive off the apron but Undertaker ducks under it Mankind goes for a suplex but Undertaker slides out into a belly to back Bearer's presence so far has added nothing to the match Mankind pulls a shank from his trunks and strikes the Undertaker in the head. Quite how the referee didn't see that twice, I'm not exactly sure. Mankind ends up on top of Undertaker in the corner. Undertaker picks him up on his shoulders, hits a tombstone pile driver and wins the match. The cage descends, Undertaker goes to attack Bearer but outruns the executioner. It's Terry Gordy. Taker sort of fights him off but by that stage Mankind has got Bearer out of harm's way. Colin.
5: Um, I think it's I think it's as good as they could have got for Undertaker and Mankind. Um, obviously, the the payoff was for Undertaker to beat Mankind and get his hands on that dastardly Paul Bearer, um, and he didn't get to do it because of the executioner coming out and making the save. So it gives the feud more legs to carry on for a little bit longer. They obviously feel that they can get more out of it. Um, it yeah, I mean, it, it did what it needed to do to keep, <laughs> I suppose, keep you interested. You want Undertaker to get his hands on Bearer. Uh, we're just going to have to wait a little bit longer. Jeff?
1: I, I dug the match uh, between these two. I think they have really great chemistry. I like, I've liked all their matches together. Uh, the match conceit kind of... I liked parts of it. I didn't like it. I kind of think you, when you book a singles match with the the manager above the cage, I know they did that with Cornette back in the 80s. Um, if you do that gimmick after you've done two other gimmick matches, it kind of seems like the reverse. Um, I mean, Taker's feuds always seem to now go along the lines of, like, he gets screwed over, they do a gimmick match where he gets screwed over, and then he finally gets his payoff match in, like, a casket match. And, and this kind of felt like the same kind of, formula for the Undertaker's feuds uh, that have been the last couple of years. I like the psychology of Taker working the mandible claw fingers in hand. Although, you know, as you mentioned earlier with the drop toe hold, it's like, you know, they start off by saying you're not going to see any, you know, classical wrestling here. And all of a sudden you see some chain wrestling uh, after you're booking this gimmick heavy grudge match feud. So it kind of felt out of place. Um Mankind's awesome. His movements, his sellings, his reactions, they're just all incredible. Um, My one note going forward, like looking towards the next WrestleMania, is I just want to hope that they can rehab Vader enough after his, you know, SummerSlam debacle and how mismanaged he's been so far, uh, if he could work taker, because I think they could have magic stuff together as just two big men just beating the hell out of each other. Very, you know, stiff, snug style, the stuff that got Vader over in the first place in uh, WCW. Uh, one thing I noted was that the camera crew seemed to miss a couple of mankind's crazy bumps on first take, which seems like a waste of those crazy bumps. Uh, uh, JR's commentary was MVP quality here. I thought that he did a really great story to get over how, how, how violent and dangerous both these guys were, which was totally opposite to my criticism from the first match. And, uh, you know, it was a good finish. Kind of lame to tee the payoff of, on getting your hands on Paul Bear and then bringing out Gordy. Um, I don't like that he's the executioner since he's Terry Gordy. I don't know why they would do that since he has equity in his name. But overall, it was pretty fun.
4: Jeff, what is Paul Bear been suspended above the ring in a cage after this match?
1: Well, the whole threat is that he can't interfere.
4: But it's not well.
1: That's I mean the the old the old sentiment is like say okay, like in the territories when Cornette would do it would be Cornett's hung above the cage with uh, like a they'd say like a shark and enforced you know steel cage or some garbage like that. They'd hang him up there and they'd say, well, he's cost so and so the match so many times. He's interfered on their behalf so many times. Now we're gonna make sure he's out of the equation. Now, invariably, what that usually means is that. Cornette would have something in his shoe that he would throw down to the to the heel team that he was you know to the Midnight's. Um, so here the idea would be that Paul Bear would have had to cost Taker a bunch, and then he can't interfere, which is kind of moot when uh, you know <laughs> I don't know they didn't they didn't really book it correctly, but uh, you know I I can't really complain about it because I enjoyed the match.
5: I mean, but, but why didn't they have Bearer? Did, did Bearer drop the shank
4: for mankind? Don't think so. Why, would, so. why wouldn't you book that? I don't know. Like the yeah, I mean, my, my question for you, Jeff, wasn't really about you know, the the idea behind this mat, behind this kind of stipulation. There's something to that, but oh, it, in, the, in the in the situation you describe, you, you're right. But it didn't work here. Like Bearer being above the ring added almost nothing to the match. Like you know, Bearer's it's not.
5: It's not really your. It's not really your typical always get an involved very physical kind of manager either so it's not like
4: no and it, it's not well i don't want to say he's not emotive but like we, we had jerry lawler in a above the ring in a shark cage i think at the beginning of this year and lawler credit to i think managed to give himself a nosebleed while he was up there and they also had a, a live mic hooked up to him as well so that he could kind of commentate while he was shit scared above the ring that kind of made sense this was just all a bit flat and i kind of thought well like, it, it, Bearer's not the biggest, you know, it's not like mankind's winning a load of matches because Bearer stands on the apron and distracts the referee. I'm not saying he's not involved, but it just didn't really work. Like, it would have, it would have made as much sense that they'd just locked Bearer in a cage at ringside and just said, you can watch this, and then when, when, where if Undertaker wins, you come out and he can, he can beat you up. Um, I suppose that's not a lot different. I thought this match was fine, but I'm I kind of in agreement with Jeff. Like when you've had a we've had a boiler and brawl and you have had a buried alive match, this feels like a weird third chapter. Just like an ordinary singles match. You know half an hour into a show. Yeah. But it was a good match. I mean these two work well together. They're both good enough. I just kind of I almost wouldn't have done this match on this show. I don't necessarily know that the show needed a singles match of this calibre. Like you almost could have done like Team Undertaker versus Team Mankind or something like that, something a little bit different. Um, but the booking at the end with the with the execution running, I don't know that I love Undertaker and execution. I presume we'll get that next month. I don't that I love that match, but it, it made sense. Like Undertaker gets Bearer, but Bearer gets away off the distraction. It was fine. It just you know given good and their match quality has generally been pretty good this was not quite up to the level that i, I think we've expected before but then again second in a second on a, a paid major pay for you i guess it doesn't have to be to an extent here comes sonny she thinks she's a baby face now Hunter hearst is backstage with his team, Golddust, Lawler and Crush. They're saying Mark Henry's injured. The team are saying it's going to be three on four, but I'd be pretty shocked if they don't replace him. Hendricks gets comments out of each of them, but this is a nothing interview. And we've on next to Crush, Jerry Lawler, Hunter Hurst helmsley and Dust with Marlena versus Wildman, Mark Merrow, The Stalker, Rocky Maivia and their surprised guest, Jake the Snake Roberts with Sable. Sunny points out Hunter has no lady with him. Ross says he's more than perfect too. Merrow name checks New York for a cheap pop. He indeed says they're gonna have a new member and it's Jake Roberts. We start with Merrow versus King. Fans drum up a Burger King chant. Merrow then tags out, as does King, so it's Stalker versus Hunter. No it's not, it's Merrow versus Golddust and we get underway mera hits a bag drop and an arm drag lots of tags mera gets in but hunter scarpers and drags in crush king hits rocky with a shoulder tackle rocky kips up they're all talking rocky up on commentary hunter goes hard at rocky in the corner he plays the face in peril well he was tagged in uh, he was until he was tagged in roberts who went after everyone roberts whips up the crowd shapes for a ddt but hunter drives him into the heel corner to stop the advantage Robert swings a punch at Lawler but misses. Lawler irritates that Rawls is drunk. Roberts is playing possum, drops Lawler with a DDT and Lawler is eliminated. Stalker hits a suplex on Goldust for a two. Goldust hits a pretty ugly curtain call and prints the stalker. Barry hits a nice knee lift on Goldust. Goldust flies off the ropes for the clothesline. The match is really flattened out. Mera comes off the top with a lovely moonsault onto the standing Hunter, and that's enough to eliminate him. That was all possible thanks to Roberts illegally stepping in the ring to distract Hunter. Mero goes for a slingshot splash to the outside, but Crush moves, um, and Mera hits the mat hard. seems like they eliminated Mero after that. Uh, Crush hits Roberts with a heart punch, and Roberts is eliminated. It's Rocky versus two guys, and the crowd start chanting, Rocky, Rocky, so he's got that going for him at least. Rocky hits an inside cradle for a two but it's actually turned to a handicap match Rocky hits an ugly looking double cross body Goldust low blows him Goldust holds up Rocky Crush goes for the heart punch but Rocky moves and Goldust eats it Rocky pins Crush and it's one versus one Rocky hits a running, cold, shod- running shoulder breaker pins Goldust and Rocky wins the match Colin
5: um, I think this match was always being built to make Rocky Maivir look good. They love the fact that they've got a third-generation star. Um, and This was all about, in the end, making him look as good as they possibly could. Um, I had to say, Jake the Snake Roberts. uh, I'm a big fan of his, but boy, did he look old and out of shape when he came out. Um, They had him previously wearing... it was like a waistcoat waistcoat gimmick when like during like king of the ring and stuff and they should have had it on him tonight i mean it's the way he he stormed the ring with like, this massive albino python waving it above his head and then slid the poor thing into the ring um he just he, he looks so out of shape and out of place uh, he's he's always going to get you know the name recognition and he managed to work the crowd up a couple of times but it's it's quite sad to see him look like that, to be honest. But it was an okay match. Um, uh, Rocky Maivia, they've obviously pinned him as a star, and this is what that match was for.
4: In that sense, Colin, did it work?
5: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, he came out. He was, you know, he was two on one at one, and towards the end of the match, uh, he got, you know, he got the fortunate heart punch to Gold Dust miscommunication. He hit some. I'm assuming the. Um, the shoulder breaker is his finisher. It's a bit of an odd finisher, but you know, I don't. I don't really remember him working over any arms to make that make much sense. But yeah, they make they they try to make him look strong. He's come out two on one and managed to get the win. So yeah, it's it's okay. It's not a bad booking.
4: Jeff, was it too similar to the opening match in terms of the the, the new baby face act overcoming the numbers game? Would you have played it a little differently second time up? Um, I
1: think they could have done a better job at working some of these teams to protect certain guys. Uh, like, I think they could, they could have done more for the heels on certain ones. Like, I think if you look at Helmsley and Goldust, I think they're in the same boat as Vader and Farouk, whereas their teammates were kind of lesser than. So I think there was, I I think there was a misrepresentation of, of kind of the core of these teams or, or, sorry, not misrepresentation, but, um, uh, a misuse of, of how you build the teams to kind of complement each other and guys who can take falls and guys who can't. Uh, the Rocky Maivia stuff, I thought, I thought he looked pretty good. Uh, the, the ring gear looked a little questionable. It didn't really strike me as cool for a fresh young baby face. He kind of looked, kind of looked like something out of the Flintstones. Uh, <laughs> the teal, just the kind of the, the aesthetic all there wasn't there. Uh, looked look like Tatanka's old ring gear. It, it was felt- just... It just didn't strike me, like if you look at The Undertaker's new cool leather stuff and if you look at the edgier stuff that like Austin and Pillman are kind of wearing, and then you see Rocky Maivia come out, you know, it just it just kind of sinks for me, but they really tout him hard as a blue chipper and Jim Ross, as I said earlier, really wanted to tout his uh his collegiate background. Um you know, one thing I noted was it's crazy to see these young talents. Like they have Marrow, Dustin Rhodes, Helmsley. Mick Foley, Scorpio, Pillman, Austin, all these guys that they've stocked up on with really good talents, they're all from WCW and it's almost as though like they're using that place as their developmental to get guys that they can use as, as future, you know, uh, building, bo- building blocks for their upper mid-card to the main event, which which is, is pretty smart. Um, when you look at who they're trading for WWE versus uh, WCW, where you have like Duggan and all those guys, Um it kind of felt more now than ever that they're trying to really recapture that babyface Randy Savage-Liz gimmick with Marrow and Sable in the way they uh, present her. Marrow's moveset's solid, but he just really doesn't have the charisma. It was depressing watching both Barry Windham and Jake Roberts in this match. Uh, you know, Jake's obviously more out of shape than Barry, but uh, considering how great in the ring Barry Windham was, you know, that gimmick is DOA. I mean, that's just brutal, and he's just, yeah, oh, my God. It's, it's, it's crazy when you think those are two of the, you know, best wrestlers from the 80s. Roberts from a psychology standpoint and Wyndham from an actual worker standpoint. And here they are on the undercard, just completely afterthoughts. Uh, great heel work by Lawler, Hunter, and, uh, Goldust. Uh, you know, Jake, the, Jake has the crowd pretty much, you know, trained to know the short arm, clothesline, setting up the DET, so it's awesome to see them eat out of his hand. Everything else, you know, Marrow does high spots, Crush is bad, <laughs> his heart punch isn't over, Um, <laughs> You no, know, they booked that blue chip Rocky Maivia Really good. Um, I thought he could have used a cool finisher. I'm sure there's something from Japan that Kawada or one of those guys uses that would be a lot better than just a shoulder breaker. Also, at his size, a cross body just seems ill advised. Um, my main takeaway from these matches, this one and uh, the one later coming up with uh, Farouk Invader's team, it felt like they didn't do the, they didn't highlight guys. On the heel side as much, and maybe that was because the goal was to get over Rocky Maivia uh, and, and certain guys. But uh, I felt like the heels were undermined on most of these uh, most of these card uh, team matches.
4: Yeah, I mean they yeah you know, they they came with one goal in mind really, which was to to get Rocky Maivia over. Uh, they had uh, you know really two other guys they wanted to protect in Mero and Helmsley, um, but. Jeff I, I thought you were a bit polite on some of your analysis beyond those three guides. I don't think Goldust is is anything these days anymore I don't know how effective he is as a heel and he's, his work rate has deteriorated a lot in the last couple of years part of that is the change of gimmick but there are i would argue there are other things going on there as well Uh, roberts is okay but he's in that kind of spot he's a he's a novelty act and he wasn't the first or the last uh was he the first yeah he, he wasn't the last novelty act on this show um so that was okay as for my Via, yeah, it felt a little similar, like the new act that we haven't really done a lot with on TV. I know they've done some stuff with my Via on superstars, not that I'm watching that. Um, but it felt a little too similar to the first one. I kinda would have had him in the two on one situation, get it down to one on one and then had him kind of screwed so you could have given him a you know, have 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 him eliminate gold dust and have gold dust like screw him right afterwards. So crush it, you know, all right. Maybe you don't want Crush as the last guy in there. There's other ways of telling that story. But give him something a bit different rather than just this win. It felt a little flat. He looked okay, though. Um, you know, you, you could tell that he's still learning the ropes, quote-unquote. Um, but, yeah, enough going for him in short spurts. But I kind of felt once we got down the stretch on his own, they were, they were kind of right just to to get on with it. Um, and it it did just about work. And the crowd were chanting Rocky, not that Rocky's the most difficult thing to chant, but that's something. I mean that's it's better than the not chanting Rocky, I suppose, is one way of looking at it. Um All in all a decent match. Um I don't think one was all that memorable. Anyway, we get an interview with Steve Austin. Uh he says that Brett cliches are cliches and an ass whipping is an ass whipping crowd pop for that brett then says separately Madison square garden isn't a church but it is holy crown he repeats i'm not greedy for money i'm greedy for respect and next up it's brett hart versus stone cold steve austin with the winner of the match meeting the wwf champion next month austin sticks two middle fingers up at brett which gets a gasp austin starts wrenching the arm brett returns the favor ross mentions wrestlemania 10 i watched that on pay-per-view he says (laughs) Lots of armholes in the opening minutes here. Austin breaks up the monotony with a stun gun. Back to a rest hold mid-ring by Austin. Finally, the match lines up with an exchange of punches as Austin regains control. Ross says Stone Cold wins round one. That's the second Tyson Holyfield reference he's got in this match. Brett attempts a running bulldog, but Austin manages to show him into the turnbuckle. They go to the top, but Brett manages to throw Austin off and drop an elbow from the second rope we spill to the outside brett manages to drive austin into the guardrail and the guardrail actually comes apart briefly so we're in with the frowns as the guardrail falls over what is this ecw austin catapults brett onto the announcer's table they brawl onto the announcer's chairs and spanish and uh, spanish announcers is vacated one of them was kind of buried in the pile austin drops brett onto the table then hits a standing elbow onto brett from the apron Austin drops an elbow from the second rope for a two. This does have the feeling of Brett versus Sean for WrestleMania. Austin can't hit the stunner because he isn't winning and Brett can't use the sharpshooter because Austin isn't submitting. Or at least that's what I put in my notes at the time. Lots of support for Austin with Let's Go Austin chance. Austin uses the ropes for leverage of an abdominal stretch. The ref breaks him off and Austin shoves him. They have a standing exchange. Brett wins it. Another Holyfield reference from Ross. Brett uses the stun gun on Austin. Brett goes for a cradle, doesn't really pull it off, but Austin kicks out. Brett hits a pile driver, and both men are down. Brett covers Austin soon after, but he kicks out. Brett goes to the top, Austin follows him up and crotches him on the top. Austin unloads with some punches and then hits a very nice superplex. Austin goes for a pin, but Brett locks it up and almost pins Austin. Another in reference from Ross, this time Ali Frazier. Austin hits a stunner, you know... Brett kicks out. They, they, the the story they tried to tell was that Austin just didn't quite get the pin in quickly enough. It didn't really work. I guess we'll discuss that at the end. I didn't see Brett kicking out of though, as, as we kind of said. Brett did manage to roll out of the way a bit, I guess. Austin goes for a Texas cloverleaf. Brett struggles struggles towards the ropes and then makes it. Austin throws Brett towards the turnbuckle. Brett ends up sliding back first into the ring post. Austin goes for a bow and arrow. Brett escapes and attempts the Sharpshooter. He tries to get it in, but Austin gets to the ropes. Brett instead goes for a sleeve hold. Austin again hits a jawbreaker looks way too much like his stunner. Austin goes for a million dollar dream submission. Brett kind of climbs up the turnbuckle using his feet, pushes off, and rolls through for a pin for the three. After the match, Brett does a lap of honour. Jeff?
1: Yeah, that was an incredible match. Uh, Bret Hart's my favourite wrestler, <laughs> uh, and he's really incredible at you know, making and minting talents uh, when others really wouldn't have, uh, if given that same spot. Uh, you know, Brett had to win his return match, but the way Austin lost, it doesn't hurt him. He, he he wouldn't release his submission hold for the three count. He looked dangerous. He looked like a capable threat. He's so vile and legitimate that he really stands out. Um, you know, when you let Austin swear, when the rest of your roster doesn't. That, again, makes him stand out. Um, Ross, Unless
4: well, Brian Pills was doing it.
1: Well, yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. But, but they're the Hollywood Blondes, so I kind of consider them a package deal. Um, but, you know, this this really did have... This felt like the main event. Ross did a great job. Uh, there was some really great chain wrestling to start out. I thought McMahon was dreadful in this match, just with his... His persona on commentary, everything's a maneuver. Uh, I, I enjoy that. Uh, I think Brett's the best psychologist in the business. The way he worked, the arm and the shoulder of Austin, given that his big moves were the stunner and the dream. And I think Brett's brilliant, if you haven't noticed yet. Um, you know, everything, uh, you know, loved Austin working Brett's throat. I mean, just everything. Then it breaks down to a brawl because, you know, their technique isn't working and then Brett's fed for the comeback and he, they're using each other's, you know, Austin, he uses Austin's stun gun on him. Thought the, the finish was clever, lets Brett get his win, gets Austin the same face. Um, I really, I thought this was probably the best match in the U.S. this year.
5: Call it. Uh, I agree. I think it was a fair, I, I loved the match. Um, Brett is also my favourite wrestler. He has been since I was a kid. Um, Stone Cold Steve Austin, he's so technically good. And Bret Hart with him is just... It's the potential to be... It could be it's could got potential to be even better than this. And I think this was really good. Um, the wrestling in ring was great. I think even when they took it to the outside... None of it seemed overdone to me, even though they, you know, they spilled over the barrier and the barrier came down. They used the announcer's table. It didn't seem overdone. Um, Again, I had Brett's psychology down, uh, working on Austin's arm because, you know, his finisher is the stunner. It just it worked on so many levels. Uh If you as well, I liked. Wait, the, we didn't uh, work that well. Austin did it twice. Why? Well, well, no, I mean, I, I mean, the match itself worked on so many levels. The act oh,
4: was, I know, I was about Brett, Brett breaking the arm, but I yeah, mean,
5: sorry. I, I especially liked that after Brett had his um hand raised. If you <laughs> the camera focuses on his face, and if you paid attention, you could just see him look at the camera and say "fuck." <laughs> 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 it, it's quite it's quite obvious to see, but I mean. I thought it was quite awkward as well afterwards when he was going around on his lap of honour, and all the fans. Vince McMahon standing up and giving him the congratulations that Jim Ross was almost looking at him as if to say, what are you doing?
4: <laughs> I think it's the first time Vince has done that. I, I seem to remember him doing something similar with Shawn Michaels a few months ago. i may be wrong on that. Um, yeah, Um this is a really, really good match uh, in the sense that it set out to achieve one thing, which was to create... You know, Bret Hart's called Stone Cold Steve Austin the best wrestler in the WWF. Um I don't, as I, I kind of said last month, I don't think we've actually seen that yet. And and to an extent, once Bret said it, he's kind of got an obligation to prove it. And so Bret set out in part to, not that Austin's a bad worker, but in part to to prove a point and to prove that Austin is indeed as good as he is. And if you want to elevate Austin to a, you know, a potentially main event level, guy you've got to show he can do it with the ring and this was the first time the WWF we've got even remotely like even you know even remotely close to that kind of point that was really good i also thought this match was great from a standpoint that not a lot actually happened like you'll very rarely see a match where so little you know, big stuff happens. There was there wasn't any great moments in this match, and yet Brett managed to Brett and Austin managed to put together a great match. I liked that, as much as it was about disrespect. I liked that it started as a chain wrestling match because it makes sense for Austin to try and out chain wrestle, you know, out wrestle the guy. And then, as you say, when it broke, it broke down into more of a brawl because the wrestling wasn't working. That made sense. Um. I did have some qualms with this match, though. Um, You know, as I kind of put in my notes, Austin's not going to hit the stunner here because he's never going to... Yeah, Brett's never going to kick out of it. That'd be stupid. And then they did it, and it was like... You could tell, or at least I thought, I think that didn't come across quite as it should because it felt like Jim Ross was working really, really hard to try and prove a point about that. As in, oh yeah, Brett rolled out the way, and he sorta of did. Um we still got Austin doing the thing where he'll hit the drawbreaker out of the submission and it's like, yeah, that's another stunner, Steve. You need to work on that. Um I mean it helps that the the commentators are are on point enough not to call it. I think if this was in WCW and they're a bit less, you know, concentrating on getting guys over, they might call that as a stunner, and then you've got problems. Um Jeff, my big issue with this match, I kind of felt it lacked a bit of drama. Um, uh,
1: you know, I, I what what's at stake here? Brett's all about respect, and Austin has no respect. Brett's coming back trying to prove himself after losing his title at Mania. Austin's calling him a phony, and he's all about slogans. I think, I think, you know, there's they, they were selling this as you know a, a battle of gunslingers, and and Brett's really big into you know westerns and <laughs> that kind of uh, motif and. Brett really does have that sheriff mentality, the way he kind of carries himself, like Wyatt Earp and Tombstone, where he's the good guy, and he's the, the, he said in, the, in a promo that he was here to clean up the WWF. Um, you know, I, I I would strongly disagree with you there, Bob. You know, this was a babyface getting a heel over, not... You know, imagine if Brett had gone for his diving elbow and pulled up and just started screaming at his heel halfway through the match. Like, how how would that have gotten... Austin over. You know, I think, I think, th- I think this was a really, really important, uh, match to get your heel over. I don't know if you caught that, that reference to Shawn Michaels, Bob. That was a reference to Shawn Michaels. Um, uh, oh. <laughs> uh, but I, I think, I think everything was important because Brett, Brett says this guy's the best wrestler and I want to beat him. And he went out there and whether or not Austin is the best wrestler, uh, Brett put value in Austin and then made his win all the more better so i i thought it i thought it had intensity i thought it had everything you need out of a match and it proved tonight that bret hart is the better all overall worker than Shawn michaels in my opinion because while michaels might be the better athlete psychology counts for a lot
4: yeah i, mean, I don't disagree with the fact that it achieved its purpose so in a way it's a weird criticism i just felt that the last few minutes were a little anticlimactic. I mean, I'm guessing we're going for a rematch. Well, we are. I mean, let's, yeah. let's be honest about that. Um, but Jeff, for such a great match, like I, 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 you know, for quite allegedly a great match, like I don't think it finished like a great match.
1: Well, it it's, finished- it's the part of a series, probably. I mean, or or even if well, it isn't, you want to protect Austin. You don't want to have him tap out in the middle of the ring, and. You know, you're calling back to WrestleMania 8 with the Piper finish. Austin, you know, even though he, he kind of, you know, did the stunner that got kicked out of, Austin looked really strong in this match. He hung in there with
5: the top guy.
4: Colin, chip in on that.
5: Yeah, so I I really popped for the finish. I just, uh, Piper and Bret Hart was one of my favorite matches of all time. So when I saw Bret kick off of the turnbuckle and get the pin, I just, I, I reveled in it just because it made me think back to that. Um, I think the match was solid. I think that they set out. Bret had to win because it was his comeback. We knew that, but they set out to make a star out of Stone Cold Steve Austin, and he showed that he can hang wrestling with Bret Hart. And I mean, Bret Hart is the it's it's a cliche saying the best there is best was best. best He is the best wrestler in the WWF, and Stone Cold Steve Austin showed that he can hang with him. And I think that speaks volumes as to where they could go with stone cold he's he if he can have a great match like this with Bret hart hopefully he can do what Bret hart does and get the best out of anybody that he wrestles and it's looking promising
4: i don't disagree with any of that but i don't think this was the best match of the night so I'll leave it at that we get a promo from Sid who then uh promo from Sid then out walks Lou Albano seems like he's here just to join the Spanish announcers uh, two singers or rappers come out it's PG-13 I think they were on Raw at some point last year uh, and it's the Nation of Domination they're here to introduce Farouk who does a one-handed salute in the ring Flash Funk then comes out Flash Funk obviously two called Scorpio uh, with two women dancing and the Ross calls them the Funkettes next up Another eight-man tag, it's Farouk, Razor, Ramon, Diesel and Vader with Clarence Mason and Jim Cornette. Interesting they're both out given Cornette and Mason in theory are feuding. Uh, Savio, uh, against Savio Vega, Yokozuna, Flash Funk, and a surprise with Superfly, Jimmy Snooker. We start off with Funk and Vader. By my count, four of these guys wrestled in ECW, for what that's worth. We run the ropes. Vader goes down too early for a bump bump and Funk spin kick, which looks a bit weird. Funk then hits a fantastic moonsault from the top to Vader on the outside. We get a better view on replay. That looked great, and a mild ECW champ broke out, I think. Yokozuna gets in the ring illegally and drops Vader with a one-arm slam. Vader hits a spin kick on Farouk. Ramon hits a fallaway slam on Vader. Funk runs into a big clones line from Diesel. Diesel goes for a two handed choke slam. The crowd are dead. Snooker tags in which liven things up. Diesel gets a knee up. Diesel jacked Vega and Vega is eliminated. Snooker hits super five spash and eliminates Ramon. Diesel hits Snooker with a chair and the whole match disintegrates and everyone's disqualified or we no contest. Whatever. Uh Colin, what do you think of this match? Um
5: I, I I didn't really see a point to it, to be honest. Um, who do you make look strong? Uh, you've got fake Razor, fake Diesel that you know they're there just to stick two fingers up to Scott Hall and Gavin Nash. Um, you might you want to want Farouk to look strong with the Nation. Yoko Zuna's not really been relevant since he lost the WWF title. Superflyer should be retired.
3: <laughs> I, actually I, he,
5: he should be in jail actually for being honest well yeah he should be in jail you're absolutely right but um, I I, I really didn't enjoy the match at all there wasn't the only thing I really popped for was how hard Diesel smashed Sue Snooker over the back with a chair at the end it was brutal considering how old and frail Snooker looked
4: yeah that's didn't snap him in half Jeff
1: um yeah the fake razor and diesel gimmick it's death for these guys I mean it's not going anywhere but I actually kind of enjoy it because it's it is such a double middle fingers to to Hall and dash that you're watching it and it's like well this is our property I mean you can recast an actor in a movie why not do that I kind of even if it's just like a, a, a little smirk and a chuckle I I kind of laugh at it with that being said do I really want to laugh with Vader and Farouk in the same ring since those are two badass dudes who should be treated and, and, and presented very seriously? Um, Vader's been utterly wasted here. I don't know who, how much you want to fault him and his his injury status. Um, I, I think they fumbled big time with him. I would like to see him in a in a match where. Uh, maybe he's the guy, He's it's one-on-four with, you know, he's the only heel, and then he just walks through. I mean, they had all those guys on the free-for-all that were just doing nothing. I, Vader could have just squashed a bunch of those guys. You reestablish him. I didn't understand what he's doing here. Same with Farouk. Um, I didn't get the need to repackage Scorpio, but here's the cool thing. They always say Vince McMahon likes to repackage talent so he has his own personal investment. So hopefully that can get him a better push because he's a great talent. Um, I thought Cornet was great on color commentary. I thought he's infinitely better than King. Uh, Yoko looks unhealthy at this point. Uh, his uranage here was, I mean, he it, it was bad. Uh, uh, I thought pretty much the whole, the, the finish was stupid. Bringing in Snuka. I mean, he got clocked with a chair, which, I mean, the guy didn't need any more, you know, uh, injuries to the head as it is. Um, altogether, this was the weakest match on the card, in my opinion, and it served nobody here.
4: Yeah, I it, it, in terms of the show it served the purpose of being a filler between the two big matches. Um, in terms of the guys involved, there are some guys that deserve a lot better than this and there are some guys that probably don't deserve the the, the, the semi-main on a on a major pay-per-view. Um I with Jeff, I'd I'd have happily seen Vader, Farouk and Flash just kill the other five. Um, just in terms of uh you know, that there are three guys in this this match that have some legs going for them at the moment, and there are five guys that don't. I mean, it's not because bit of an exception, he's a one off. Um but Yokozuna's bad, Vega's horrendous, and and the fake razor and diesel is just all over the shop. Vega uh, Vader deserves better. Uh Flash Funk I thought was probably the only positive on debut, nice little entrance, got his big moonsault in. And, yeah, like, I suppose I, I, I didn't need to see Vader getting pinned by Savio Vega, I guess. So the match going to a, you know, a, a kind of, you know, eight-way DQ, whatever you want to call it, I guess that works. Um, But, yeah, let's move on, shall we? And to the main event, it's Sid versus Shawn Michaels with Jose Letharo for the WWF Championship Sid gets a nice Sid-shaped pyro scaffold. We get a big reaction from Sean from the women. Sean gyrates and Sid looks on, focused. Sid starts out with some wild strikes and big cheers from certain sections of the crowd. Sean slaps Sid. Sid sets to the powerbomb, which whips up the crowd, and Sean escapes for cover. Sean gets a boot up on Sid and then shoulder tackles to the back of the knee. Sean's on top to audible boos from the crowd as we get big Let's Go Sid chants. Sean channels Jeff Jarrett by going for the figure four Sid eventually rolls it over Sid backs into the cameraman on the turnbuckle and shoves it away Sid hits a couple of kicks into Sean in the corner Michael skins the cat Sid stands up and just clotheslines him over the top for another sizeable reaction Sid on the aisleway drops Sean onto the guardrail Sean does a flare flip over the top then drops Sid over the top to lots of boos Sid catches Sean off the top we get big cheers from the male section of the crowd. Rallies in a standing exchange of punches and then hits a body slam. He comes off of the top and Sid gets a boot up. Sid locks in an arm submission not too dissimilar to the million dollar dream. Sean fades and almost gets pinned. Sean goes for the super kick. Sid catches him and hits a one arm choke slam. The crowd go with it. Sid sets for the powerbomb waits too long Sean hits an inside cradle and almost gets it I like that as a little throwback to uh, Survivor Series last year uh, Sid hits a big scoop slam for a two Sean fires off the top with a tackle Michaels gets up and with great camera work Sid just runs into shot and poleaxes Sean with a clothesline speaking of camera work Sid literally grabs the camera he then just waits for Lothario as he gets on the apron and then knocks him off with the camera Sean smashes Sid with a switch of music, but rather than pin him, he goes to check on Lothario, and Sean calls for help. They intimate that Lothario might be having a heart attack, which seems a little excessive. There's a ref bump, and Sid hits Sean with a camera. Why has nobody come to check on Lothario? I've got it in my notes. Sid then, uh, puts Sean in the ring, hits a power bomb, one, two, three, and Sid wins the title for a big pop. Jeff.
1: Yeah, this, uh, this was kind of a letdown for me, I think. Majorly, a uh, major issue I had was the the babyface dynamic to this match, which was pretty odd. Um, I think the whole babyface male stripper is is a weird gimmick. Um, I think Shawn Michaels is an incredible wrestler and an incredible heel, uh, but I, I and I think he wrestles like a heel all the time. Um, but I just I don't I don't really connect with him as a babyface. Um, Sid is not a good wrestler, and here's this big psycho guy selling all this stuff to Michaels was also a babyface, so you know, he can't really, you know, shortbridge sit and try to get the shortcut like a flair would. Um, you know, one thing to note, and I I mean, I'm pretty hard on Shawn Michaels a lot of the time, uh deservedly so, I should mention. Um, but if you if you notice his interactions uh with Jose Lothario, he really no sells his own manager. I mean, the reason the Rocky Mickey dynamic in those Rocky movies worked was because they actually had a rapport and a chemistry and eye contact. And when, when Michaels takes a powder early in the match, he doesn't even look at his manager. He doesn't consult him. And it really kind of undermines the, the finish to the match that all of a sudden Michaels is going to give up his childhood dream to go save his manager, because that's his main concern, when he doesn't even, like, he doesn't even give the guy the time of day. Um, which, again, I think makes him just such an incredible heel. But he's not working as... I mean, he's not presented as a heel and that feels wasted uh the crowd turning on him isn't surprising considering a it's new york uh b you're going against a guy who's you know a, a comic book character in sid i mean he just he's a psycho and you know sid vicious all these crazy you know monikers um the psychology was just rough the match felt a little too long um crowd got hot for sid in the high spots he does that's you know, to the credit to Shawn Michaels, to taking a lot of those bumps. Um, I really didn't like the finish. Shawn Michaels isn't the biggest guy in the world. I don't think you need all the excuses of his mentor being killed, the ref bump, hit with the camera, and all that to, you know, get Sid over. Um, also, I thought all this would have worked a hell of a lot better if Vader was in the Sid role, because Vader is infinitely better than Sid. Would it have looked worse if Vader had been getting cheered in New York? I don't think Vader would have been cheered, though. Oh. I think Vader would have been a better heel. I think the fact is, is that Sid is a babyface, or at least a you know closer to, uh, and and Michaels, if you're going babyface versus babyface, you're going to have that. If you bring out Cornette and Vader, I guarantee you they're not going to be cheering Vader.
4: Well, I thought the story of this match, and it was one of the things that made it so interesting, was that Sean didn't necessarily get a bad reaction coming out, in part because there were just a lot of women cheering for him. But, Jeff, I thought the story of the match was how the crowd turned on him during it, and I don't necessarily think that may have been any different had it have been Vader. Now, I think Cornette would have worked hard to fight that, but I don't know that that New York crowd necessarily would have rallied against Vader in this situation. I know that's hardly the point, but what do you think about that?
1: I think I think Michaels doesn't do enough babyface-type selling to get I, – I just I, – I put, I put the blame on – I mean, I get the New York crowd, and I get the fact that they they liked the challenger and the, the, the prospect of seeing a title change. But I think Michaels doesn't work that Ricky Morton, Ricky Steamboat, babyface style to really sell. He's the underdog, and as much as Jim Ross wants to call him a pit bulldog and how he doesn't know how tough he is or he's too tough, at some point he just comes across as, you know, invincible. Or or maybe his selling just – I don't think he sells enough Is the end of the day. And I think that's where you get your babyface sympathy. I don't think he gets enough. He was working at babyface, so you're undermining his sympathy in that regard. It all just didn't work from a psychological standpoint. Bret Hart's better.
4: But Well, slipped in on the end.
1: Uh, What? (laughs) I mean, it was a 16-minute Iron Man match at WrestleMania, and the champion retained. So this whole run has been asterisk slated.
4: Jeff's Jeff's not bitter. Eight, nine months on.
1: Did, did uh, Brett lose in the sixty-minute time frame? No, he did not. No,
4: no, he, he didn't. Did so not.
1: that is that is a draw, and this is just an interim championship. While Brett went off to Hollywood and did The Simpsons. What's Shawn Michaels done? Acted like a stripper. Case to get oh, playgirl. Oh, playgirl. The Simpsons versus Playgirl, and
4: that's your role model, Bob Bamber? No, okay. <laughs> I was so going to we, say we, we're talking we to we the can't we're we talking guess. the world's biggest Bret Hart fan and the world's biggest Simpson fan. We're in, uh, we're in tough territory here. I think oh we'll no, you're, that. you're
1: dealing with Canada's greatest living hero, okay? And oh,
4: I thought you were about you for a second oh. then.
1: <laughs> Bob, that's who I was talking about. Uh, no, I, I think, I think we have, uh, I think we have a disconnect here. I think Shawn Michaels for the last several months has been a paper champion and, uh, that's what's bit him in the ass. So, there you I, go, I, better think better.
5: I think it's quite obvious that The fans slowly but surely got sick of watching Shawn Michaels. And it all comes to a head in this match. I mean, they tried to book Sid as the heel. I mean, he hit the 60-year-old man with a camera. He hit the champion in the back with a camera. And the fans cheered him like he was the face. I mean, he is a face, but they're trying to make Shawn Michaels the one they cheer for. And it just didn't work. They're sick of... The whole Shawn Michael story.
4: What do you think of this match, Colin?
5: I mean, it it's it's difficult to book a face of face anyway. Um, but when one of the guys you you're relying on to try and help you, is Sid, I mean, he's you know he throws some punches and some kicks and he can do a power bomb and maybe clothesline you, choke slam you. But there's not really much else to his game. Um, Shawn Michaels can bump better than anybody. He's, you know, he's a fantastic worker. But I say the fans were already turning on him. See, there's so much of this match that could have been good. It just didn't really work. Sid needed to be the heel going into this, I think, to get anything really out of it. But then the fans are already starting to cheer him more than they were Shawn Michaels. It's just, I don't, I don't know. I really don't.
4: Well, put me in the minority, but I thought we were about three or four minutes away from a fantastic match. Uh, I, I think Shawn deserves all the credit in the world for getting a, a bizarrely excellent match out of Sid by Sid standards. Um, and all the thought of Sean getting booed, I thought that added to the match. Um, I, I thought that the, the the story of Sean coming out there and getting this quite big babyface reaction and then the male audience just slowly turning on him really kind of enhanced the story. And by Sid's standards this was an absurdly good match. You know, 95% of that is Sean, but we'll give Sid some credit where he deserves it. Um, at some credit
5: he nearly um, screwed up the finish did you notice w- which bit he, well, do you know how he gets hit he hit um, Sean in the back with the camera Yeah, he, tri- he he very nearly tried to do that the first time round the referee told him to put the camera down
4: Well, how would that have screwed up the finish
5: well I mean is that he? hit there was obviously something that was supposed to happen and he was supposed to hit him with the camera a little bit later, and he was told but he had to be told by the referee
4: to do it later. Oh, I see. No, I didn't notice that. Okay, yeah. but I, I thought the whole finish was really contrived. Like the whole finish like, really was a big letdown on the match. Like I was, yeah, you know, the, the way the crowd were going, I, I would have just had Sid kill Sean. Like that would have been it. Just do it cleanly right? Shawn Michaels does not need an excuse to be off television for six weeks. I know it's rough. We're, we're going to talk about them trying to set up the Alamodome in a bit. I know that would have been a bit tricky. But I don't necessarily think it would have been the end of the world. I'd have just won. Now, admittedly, yeah, the Alamodome thing, I suppose, actually just default that argument. But I, I, I was, you know, the whole thing of why is the theory of trying to get in the match, involved in the match? I don't know. Like, it's the... It's the it's the ECW thing with Shane Douglas and Pitbull one. Like I can only have so much sympathy for the babyface when they opt they they openly get themselves involved in a match. Kind of what Sid said on Raw. You still on the apron, you got into the game, then you were part of it. Now, right, Sid's got a camera. Um But yeah, I, I agree that you know that they. The finish was designed to mitigate Sid's babyface reaction so that when he faced Bret Hart next month, he wouldn't get cheered. I suspect they're going to have some problems with that anyway. Or Although reports are that on some house shows since Sid faced Steve Austin. And Austin, of all people, was getting cheered. That's interesting. That's one for another time. Um, I thought the match was, was really very good. I, As I said, unlike Bret and Austin, I thought this one had a lot more drama. There was a lot more intrigue. And I just felt a bit, felt a bit let down by the end. Um we're going to discuss Sid's kind of prospects going forward in a bit. Um, but I thought this match just about worked. Could have been great. Like, yeah, well, could have been really, really good had they not have just overdone the finish. And then Colin, the, the thing with the whole fake heart attack, like it was, I just thought it was bizarre. Like they, they, they didn't, alright, we know where they're going, but they didn't need to, in the heat of the moment, tell a story that Lothario was having a heart attack for the angle to work. Lothario no. could have just been down selling. The angle would have been just as effective. Sid hitched Lothario with a camera. Lothario drops to the outside. Spark out because he's a 60 year old man who's been hit by a big, you know, lump of, uh, whatever. Right, a big camera. the story's already there he doesn't need to be having a heart attack and I kind of thought it took away from the moment particularly when there was about three minutes between that happening and nobody came out to help him
5: nobody came out to check on the 60 year old man that just got hit with a camera and then after the match when Shawn Michaels went back outside to him and he did have like paramedics around him Michaels pulled some of the paramedics off him if he's having a heart attack why is he pulling a paramedic off him
4: yeah (laughs) It didn't make no sense either what what many things Jeff, what are many things in this part of the story that just didn't make any sense? Well,
1: I'll tell you why Shawn Michaels pulled off the paramedic. It's because he's selfish and he wanted the camera. <laughs> for okay? Here's here's the crazy thing. They have a polar bear named Sid Vicious, and the polar bear has to use a chainsaw in the form of this camera to crush a two hundred and twenty pound year old stripper, okay? No, I think uh I mean, Bob, I can appreciate different strokes for different folks, and I'll always give Shawn Michaels credit for being an excellent in-ring performer. However, this finish was just to save his face. The plot to this is line by line the script to Rocky three, except Burgess Meredith's Mickey actually dies, which who knows? They might do that with Jose Othario because Shawn's going to have his comeback. Um, you know, you got to sell out the Alamo Dome it's going to be the baby face chasing the heel, whoever it would have been. Uh, if it would have been Vader, that would have worked better. Um, you know, if it doesn't make sense, it's all the... It, I, I saw this as the Shawn Michaels vanity saving face show, uh, at which point, you know, I wasn't surprised by the finish because it's Shawn Michaels.
4: I, I think I think we get the underlying point of uh, of what Jeff say, Colin, overall thoughts on this show and a score rating out of 10?
5: Um... For a Survivor Series, I mean, I'm, I'm you know, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of elimination tag matches. I don't think they really work terribly well. But I mean, for a Survivor Series show, I think it was decent enough. I mean, you had the terrible four and four before the main event. The rest of it was pretty solid. Uh, there were obviously some some errors made, but it was enjoyable enough. I think I'd give it seven.
4: Jeff. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I thought the Brett Austin match was the best, certainly WWF match of the year. Probably one of the best matches I have seen this year. Um, I thought the opening tag elimination match was really great. Um, I thought the Rocky Mayavia presentation was was very was very well done. Taker and Mankind was very well done, even though it was kind of goofy. Um, the, the Shawn Michaels performance was good. As an athlete, he's good. You can edit out all of my Shawn Michaels, you know, just diatribe if you want. Uh I mean, he is an incredible worker, and he did very good with Sid, who I think... Although, uh, the one thing I, I'll give Sid credit for is he did the kip-up in this match, which, I mean, I think this was night of a hundred kip-ups. I think Shawn, Sid, Brett, and Davey all did something of the sort, Um Taken all together.
4: Rocky D1 as well?
1: The rest. There you go. I, I made I made note of that. I was like, wow, is is there like one agent not talking to the other? Because they're all kind of doing the same thing. And that's Shawn Michaels' spot. So you know somebody got yelled at backstage. But that's a story for another day. Um Altogether, I mean, I, I'd say, yeah, like seven, seven and a half. I think the Brett Austin match was great. And, uh hey, the title's off uh, Shawn Michaels. So that's, you know what, that's an eight.
4: Yeah, uh seven and a half. Uh, I, I thought this was a good show. It went by pretty quickly. The one good thing about the Survivor Series format is that generally, generally, the matches are quite decent just because of the whole elimination thing. You can tell some interesting story with the numbers, games and all of that. Uh, we certainly saw that in the opener and to a smaller extent, we saw that in the second match. Uh, the three singles matches were um brett and austin is a very good match i think some people will enjoy it more than i did just because it's that style of match um but for what i didn't enjoy of that match, i i i enjoyed probably doubly so in the main event in terms of the, the 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 difference levels in terms of it i just thought the main event had a lot going for it there's some faults here i think there was some you know enough things going on down the card it's not a perfect show but it's pretty pretty good um, with a match that a lot of people are going to call exceptional. I call very good and also um, a very, very interesting main event with some interesting connotations and some interesting things going forward that we're going to discuss the other side of
3: this. We are back with more WWF raw. We're live ladies and gentlemen coming to you from San Antonio, Texas from the home of Jose Lothario. They're sitting next to Sean Michaels. Firstly, Jose, thank you very much for the privilege and honor of visiting you in your home. Anytime, you know, you're always welcome over here. Thank you. The first question would be an obvious one in terms of, you know, can you give us some status as to what your condition is, your health? Yes, sir, I sure will. You know, before but before I do that, Vince, i like to say one thing. You know, I want to apologize to everybody and especially to Shawn Michaels because I really feel guilty because of me he lost the WWF Championship match. So I really, you know, apologize well, you- to him. You said that at the recent press conference, but more important than that, and I'm sure more important, Sean would agree, your 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 condition, your heart. What, what's the status? Well, the status is I check with the doctor, you know, and the doctor told me they're gonna do a balloon pass through my heart because my heart was very damaged, and they taking the survival series, and uh, I just wanna hold off a while because I just wanna be sure, you know, that I'm gonna do the right thing before anything else. Well, certainly. Uh Sean, Jose has been your hero for for many years, and I would suggest that you would rather see him uh, get better sooner rather than be in your corner for any attempt at a rematch, Not notwithstanding that. Recently, at the Royal Rumble press conference last Wednesday in San Antonio, Texas, it was announced that you were going to have an opportunity to, or at least one opportunity, be the World Wrestling Federation champion once again, to face the champion, whether it's Bret Hart or Psycho Sid after December. And isn't it true that, As we have the opportunity to see you live, your dreams, your dreams have absolutely been shattered, have they not? That boyhood dream has been shattered. And we wonder whether or not you can put the pieces back together again. Will we see that passionate Shawn Michaels ever again?
0: Well, I think that uh, a lot of people have been addressing the fact that there was an old Shawn Michaels as opposed to who I am now. All of a sudden, I'm over the hill. And people are referring to the old Shawn Michaels. Well, I don't know what it was that everybody liked or disliked. One thing I know is that somewhere down the line, somewhere in the last eight months, I lost my edge, and that's my fault. It is not his fault. I will not let him take blame for anything, nor will I make an excuse for what happened in Survivor Series. What's done is done. I can be the WWF champion again. This is something that cannot ever, ever be replaced.
4: We start November the 18th and we're live in New Haven. Steve Austin walks out and Mankind starts a fight with him immediately prior to their match. Officials attempt, badly, to separate them. Physicality in this match seems a bit weird given that both these guys lost the previous night. Still, it's a wild brawl. Mankind goes for the mandible claw. Austin just belts him in the bollocks. Eventually the executioner runs out, forcing the DQ. Undertaker comes out for the save. But after he does, Austin throws him over the top. That livens up Taker and Austin Scarpers. Ahmed Johnson appears high in the stands. He ends up taking a seat with the fans a long way from ringside. Sonny comes out and introduces the leader of the Nation of Domination, Farouk, who's carrying a bit of 2x4. He faces Savio Vega. The whole thing is dreadful. That includes the match. Sonny and King on commentary. Oh, and apparently Jim Ross is a babyface now. Savio follows Farouk up to the top rope and they both tumble off the top to the outside. That looks pretty bad. PG-13, Farouk's rappers hit Savio with a 2x4 on the outside and Farouk pins him for the 3. Johnson marches down to ringside, grabs the 2x4 and runs everyone off. He then manages to get the crowd chanting, You're going down. Well, his defensive worked. Vince gives us an update on Jose Lothario. Finally, we're about half an hour into the show. He says he's resting at home. We get a match between Leif Cassidy and Bob Holly against Doug Furness and Phil Lafon. get split screen with Owen, Bulldog and Clarence Mason. Owen says they're fighting champions. They'll give them a title shot. Immediately after that, Clarence Mason then says they're not going to give them a title shot. They're going to have to earn it. Good luck untangling that one. Furness and Lafon win their match. We end with an interview with Sid in ring with Jim Ross. Sid says when Jose put his ass on the apron, he became part of the game. Sid offers Sean a rematch and says he will be a fighting champion. All the credit in the world to Ross for holding this interview together, or trying to anyway. Sid then calls Hart Brett Mann before correcting himself. On to Raw on November the 25th we start with Brett and Owen in the opening match. We see Shawn Michaels in the family home of Jose Lothario. For those keeping score, Jim Ross now seems to be a heel again. Same taping, I don't know how that works. After a good match, Brett goes for the sharpshooter and Steve Austin runs out and hits him over the back with the chair. Austin sets for the same attack he gave Byron Pillman by wrapping a chair around his leg but Bulldog runs out and tells them to stop. Austin ends up hitting Bulldog with a chair too and then Austin- Owen remonstrates with him. The executioner defeats Freddy Joe Floyd. We then join Sean and Jose Lothario in Jose's house. Sean, at least at the outset, looks really bored. Uh, he says somewhere down the line he lost his edge, which, funnily enough, is almost exactly the same thing Diesel said the year prior after Survivor Series. Sean is getting angry here, sticking up for Lothario. a someone who's basically had a heart attack two weeks ago, Sean is awful loud and he's pissed off. Obviously, in, in the in the company of someone who basically had a heart attack two weeks ago. Sonny is definitely a babyface these days. She's on commentary for a Rocky My Veer squash match over Salvatore Sincere. Sonny's a bit smitten with the newcomer. Hunter Hearst is out on commentary for the main event between Wildman Mark Merrow and Billy Gunn. Mid-match, Hunter goes to have a chat with Sable. Merrow goes after him, blocks a punch and lands one of his own, but Gunn gets a shot in. Whole thing breaks down until Jake Roberts comes out and makes
3: the save. Oh. Hey right, Shawn Michaels, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Can you hear me? This is the king. I
0: can yeah, I can hear well, you. Well listen, I've had up. about
3: as much of this mealy mouth mush as I can stomach. Jose Lothario, that old fossil that's sitting next to you, cost you the WWF title by being up on the ring. Hey Jose, if you if your eyesight is that bad, you need to have your bifocals changed. If you if you have to be that hey, close to being able to see one the action. Thing, king. I mean,
0: understand king. one thing. Sid says, He got himself into the game. I want to make something really, really clear here. He's been in the game for 30 years. He can stick his nose wherever he damn well pleases as far as Shawn Michaels is concerned. Oh, boy. So, Sid, you stepped over the line. Now, if you can beat me skill on skill, if you can match my ability, I am the one man in the World Wrestling Federation that is man enough to shake your hand. But you didn't do that. First of all, you hit an old man, an older man, Jesus, a 62-year-old man with a camera. I don't care what you did to me, but that was uncalled for, and believe me, Sid, you're who I want. Brett, I don't care where I face you, but Sid, you're what I want next in my hometown. Myself and all the people of San Antonio will tear you apart.
3: All right, let me ask you, Madison Square Garden, let's take you back to the Survivor Series. Were you thrown off your game? Did it throw you off that so many, many fans were cheering Psycho said, and sometimes cheering him more loudly than you. Did it throw you off your no, game? No, it didn't
0: throw me. No, it didn't throw me off because what I've always wanted, I've always said, I want the fans of the WWF to enjoy themselves. I hope that I can provide that enjoyment, but if I can't, they can get it from somewhere else. I've got another agenda right now, and that is to be the WWF champion. I want the people behind me, but I will not beg to anybody or anyone any time. I will be the WF champion because I want to be and because this man believes me and the people that are important to me in my life believe in me. And if you're on my side, fine. If you're not, fine.
3: You seem awfully defensive, and I don't, I don't know that <laughs> yeah. you don't have reason to be defensive. But, I'm not trying uh, to be uh, defensive. Right, I'm being honest. Settle down. I just wonder, uh, are we going to see... Sean Michaels, the the risk taker. Sean Michaels, uh, you know the flamboyant superstar. You're damn right I am. We are. You're gonna see me take a whole hell of
0: a lot more risk. I'm gonna be more flamboyant. I'm gonna do what I want to do. That's what got me to be the number one man in the World Wrestling Federation, because I used to slap people around and kick their teeth in when I felt like it. Well, that's exactly what I'm gonna do. If I gotta gouge an eye, I'll gouge an eye. If I gotta kick you in the teeth, I'll kick you in the teeth. I'm gonna do what I want. When I want, and if somebody wants to do something about it, just try me anytime because I've had enough. As the old saying goes, and I know you've heard it a million times, but believe me when I tell you, no more Mr. Nice Guy. I can play as dirty as anybody. Just ask around.
3: All right, so let me take you to San Antonio, the Alamo Dome. 70,000 fans, and I might add your hometown, Shawn Michaels. It's the Royal Rumble. You have the opportunity of facing either Bret Hart or Psycho Sid or whomever the WWF champion may be at that time. Will you once again reign as World Wrestling Federation champion? You bet
0: I will. You bet I will. And I'll do it right here in my hometown. I don't care if it's Bret, but I prefer it be Sid because myself and the people of San Antonio are going to tear you up. Here in my hometown, there's going to be 71,000 chances To see me kick your 6'9", 300-pound teeth down your stinking throat. And believe me, it is going to happen. And there's nothing you or anybody else can do about it.
4: So we get to Raw on November the 25th. And we, after a match between Bret Hart and Owen Hart, we get a sit-down interview with Shawn Michaels and Jose Lothario in the home of Jose Lothario. Now framing this with the news that we spoke about at the top, that in a press conference the previous Wednesday, they had the announcement that the Royal Rumble in 1997 would be held at the 72,000 seat Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Texas. A lot of seats to fill. So obviously when I spoke about Shawn Michaels being kind of written off for a while, probably not the best idea. So, we get to this interview on, uh, on Monday Night Raw. My initial reaction, as I kind of mentioned in the TV notes, was Shawn looks a bit bored, but it looks like he was just kind of waiting for his moment and as would have heard either side of that uh tv report you would have heard sean's promo that went from kind of ticked off to quite pissed off come the end of it i thought had you know similarities between what we would have heard a year ago regarding um Diesel after he lost the title cut the promo on Raw, kind of cut this pissed off promo. It's like, where was that attitude while you were champion? And Jeff, I kind of watched this promo and went, yeah, where was that attitude while you were champion? This is a lot more interesting.
1: Absolutely, I think. uh I think even the presentation of how he looked, like his dress, his attire, his his demeanor, the way he. He postured himself. Everything was a little more edgier. And similar to when Diesel lost to Brett last Survivor Series, it was all of a sudden he's kind of that tweener, not so nice guy. It almost feels like that championship neuters these guys because they want, you know, Vince wants them in the Santa Claus hat, you know? And, and, and I, I always say like, Shawn Michaels has the potential, and, and he, he's already shown it, to be this generation's heel Ric Flair. He is incredible in that role. Uh, they don't use him that way. He, when, but when he cuts promos like this, he comes across like a prick. He comes across like he's he's in it for himself. And I, I say that both you know because I I, I read the, the sheets and because it just kind of how his, his persona kind of comes across. I don't feel like he puts over Lothario. At all. But, uh, you know, he you got to move tickets for that Alamo Dome. And if they're not going to do the Spurs seating, they're actually going to do, you know, the whole stadium uh, with business as it is. They're going to have to make a lot of hot stuff. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they bring bringing back, like, Kevin Von Erich for this. I mean, they're going to need a lot of, of homegrown names from the state of Texas.
4: Yeah, it sounds like they're trying, at least. I mean, as you say, there are other setups in that building where if ticket sales don't go as well, they can, they can change things up. So that's that. Um, but yeah, like you know the the Sean the Sean Edge is a bit wait a minute, and Jeff. You know, permission to ask a silly question of Bret Hart's number one fan. But when was the last like really successful WWF champion run?
1: Like what are, what are we are we talking about like as a like as a year run or are we talking
4: business? Uh, what, doesn't it doesn't have to be a year. Just the the last champion that didn't like didn't finish. His title run with less steam than he started it.
1: Uh well I mean, Brett got it taken off of him because they wanted to set up Diesel to be the next Hogan. Uh before that you're looking at whew, <laughs> <laughs> uh Maybe Warrior.
4: How far oh, are we going that back then? that? would be
1: uh, that would be Royal Rumble ninety one.
4: Ninety one, yeah.
1: Because then, you know, you have Hogan's run then he fizzled because of the steroid stuff. And Flair's run, which fizzled because Savage and, you know, they never did Hogan and Flair together. And then Brett had his run, but it was just placeholder for Luger. And, you know, Yoko had a good run in there. Okay, there's Yoko. Yoko had a good run.
4: Yoko had a good run. Did he finish better than he started? I mean, the next night, I think he was pretty much dead in the water after yeah. WrestleMania 10, but... but uh, that, that's not the only metric for the question, but it's one of them. Did, who 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 benefited from... Who's the last guy that really benefited from being champion Brett at Hart. the end of it?
5: Bret Hart. He is Bret Hart.
4: What, 92?
1: I, I'd say 94, 92. I think yeah. the way they present him now as this, this lead, the living legend... They called him at the service.
4: Brett Brett Hart's 94 on, and I've seen the 94 on, not the 92 on. Brett Hart's 94 on was a big disappointment. Was it not? Well, I think it
1: it comes on the heels of them pulling up stakes with Luger, right? I mean, I think by the end of that, you've got a a 10-year champion who now can, who's now the elder statesman. I think established Brett's mythos of being one of the top guys. Yeah. I mean, from a run, you know, he lost Bob Backlund, but that, that whole thing was, was predetermined to get Diesel
4: over pardon same question. We'll come back to Sean in a sec. Just on, on recent WWF championship runs.
5: Uh, I'd probably go with Brett as well. Oh, I mean, it's, it seems... It's pretty much like you said, that whoever seems to get the WWF title now seems to suffer for it when they do eventually lose, because unless they're going to be getting the title back within you know, weeks or months they seem to instantly take a back seat to whoever the next guy is to challenge for the title and it's just there it doesn't seem to be much planning for the people once they've lost it. So
4: I think it's just a lack of credible opponents, isn't it? I mean, Brett didn't really have any credible opponents, God knows Diesel didn't. Sean hasn't really beyond any credible heel opponents. I mean it's like
1: Vader, yeah. Well, yeah.
4: Yeah, imagine it. <laughs> Imagine what they could have done if Vader had been in the WWF in 1996. Imagine that. Um But, yeah, like that that seems to be one of the problems, is that they, much like Diesel, they get pigeonholed as this Vince McMahon-style Hulk Hogan babyface, and Diesel was never any good at that. Lex Luger was never any good at that, not that he held the title. I don't think Shawn's any good at that. And they don't really have any good opponents or they don't they're not given any i mean the, the vader thing was weird i mean the vader thing at summerslam go back and listen to how we kind of broke that apart a few months back the vader thing just wasn't booked very strongly either um from a perspective of you know the time to make the guy was when he walked in the door not like 10 months later and now it's probably too late with vader but this this new attitude of Sean, i mean i you know i I think jeff you mentioned it during during the, the uh the match review itself like the sean jose relationship doesn't really ever seem to have made any sense because sean is this cool young baby face that appeals to the women what's he got a 60 year old bloke with him for it's like walking around with your granddad. Like, why would you? Why would you do that if you're trying to be sexy and cool with all the ladies? Like, that doesn't make any sense. And now they're trying to tell this story. I mean, the, you know, the and Colin, even though I mean, talk about what you just thought of Sean Pro generally. But even the the anger seemed a little misplaced. Like, you lost the match because of your own stupidity, not because of Sid. alright? That was kind of my overriding thought. Colin, what do you think?
5: I mean, I thought. Yeah, it's, it, it was a case of where was this sort of attitude when you were champion, but we know that, as you said, Vince likes his baby face. Um, what was it? said? It? It's the Santa hat-wearing baby face. Um, I thought that he came off a lot more heelish, actually, in this interview. than he. The attitude that he'd lost was there. Um, they, I mean, they, they they put a crush. You know, Jose Lefario is his hero and... He tried to say, you know, that he's been in the business for 30 years. He can put himself wherever he wants. You know, don't question why he was on the ring apron. Well, you, you can question why he was on the ring apron. He's a 60-year-old man. What's he doing on the ring apron? Um, I, I've never understood the dynamic. I'm, I mean, I, I get you can turn around to me one day and say, sure, Michael's hero is Jose Lafaro. Okay, that's as far as it needs to go. That's as far, you know... Growing up, Shawn Michaels idolised Jose Lafario. Okay, that's nice. Carry him with whatever else it was he was doing. He doesn't need the 60-year-old guy to be accompanying him to the ring. It doesn't fit with how Shawn Michaels has portrayed himself, has had his character portrayed. You know, the brash young superstar, really confident in his own abilities, doesn't really need anybody to do what he needs to do and then yeah here comes the 60 year old man like walking to the room with him every every week it just makes no sense it's never made sense
4: no it hasn't um and 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 it's you know we're we're gonna kind of look forward a bit in a second it's like you know well forgive the pun calling it on, on rocky ground but you're gonna try and build this storyline inspired by rocky and yet i don't think that connection's there i don't think i don't get the sense that the demographic of people that like sean michaels particularly care about jose Lothario. in the sense that it's not and and, and here's the other thing as well it's not like Lothario was around when michaels was on his way up like, Michaels won the title, and then, well, not just before. Letharia appeared right when Michaels was on the cusp of winning the title. It's like, what are you there for? You know, he appeared in those training packages, those montages in the lead-up to the Brett match. Like, fine, that made sense. Go back, speak with your mentor, speak with your guy, speak with the guy that you idolised. But then what's he out there for? Like, Sean hasn't needed any help up to this point, and now he's champion, he does? That all seems a bit strange, and we we look forward to this huge show in two months' time. I mean, for a company that's not been drawing that well, this is an incredible statement, and it sounds like, well, they're going to try and sell a lot of tickets cheap. And as as Jeff mentioned also, they're going to have to uh, pull a few rabbits out the hat as well um, to try and even get close. Like, you know that they can top sections off and whatnot, but that's a big place. Like, if that's 40,000 people, it's a lot of people with a lot of empty seats. Um, but, Jeff, what's the... If you're trying to sell 70,000 seats, what's the best match at the Royal Rumble? Um, <laughs>
1: well, I think, you know, Sean is the hometown boy, and if you just inundate the local market with, you know, local boy makes good, and they, they really kind of almost redo that childhood dream, but now it's, you know... To get revenge on the guy that hurt his, I mean, there's a way to go along with this storyline to make Michaels look like the hero. He's going to be cheering his hometown. I think it wouldn't be so much as one match as you throw every living name from Texas wrestling and, you know, Lucha Libre on that card to get everyone from that area to the show. Because I I don't think, I don't think the WWF has one match right now that will sell that out.
4: Sean and Sid is the better story, but is Sean and Brett the better match in this scenario? I I know it is, I know it is, but in terms of trying to sell tickets, is does the fact that Sean and Sid is the stronger story make up for the fact that people are probably gonna want to see Sean and Brett more?
1: It's probably or Sean- it's probably hot shotting though, right? I mean Brett's just come back, he's still got unresolved issues with Austin, you know, you still have WrestleMania coming around the corner. That, that, you know, you need that ultimate title match. I think, I think, you know, a month and a half is a little too soon to go with Brett and Sean again.
4: But then you're facing the prospect of trying to sell 70,000 tickets on the basis of Shawn Michaels versus Sid and a Royal Rumble match, when you've not got that much star power, Sean and Sid is not the most appealing match, because we've already seen it, and it was quite good, but it, I don't get the feeling it's going to be better the next time around. Colin, what do you think?
5: I, I completely agree. I don't think they have a match that is going to sell them 70,000 tickets for, for a Royal Rumble. I mean, the fans are going to want to cheer the hometown guy. That's That's fair enough, but like Jeff said, you're gonna have to throw you're gonna have to throw every Texas reference wrestler out there, past and present. Um Yeah, I mean you think back to previous houses they've had for like WrestleMania, they you know, WrestleMania three was a ninety thousand people. Uh, after that, when have they ever done that kind of number anywhere?
4: When have um, they tried? Well, I don't
5: know when they tried but I mean at least back then, you know, you had the uh, Hogan and Andre, the huge thing there, and you've got the Savage and Steamboat, and, you know, bigger names than you've got now with a lot more history behind them. Um, Brett and Sean probably is the only match they have where people would instantly be interested because they know the history. But you can't throw Brett in there with Sean now with his program he's going to have going with Steve Austin. They're going to want to see... Sean get some revenge on Sid for smashing the old man with a camera even though the fans liked it. That that's what they're trying to sell the show on. Um I can't see them selling seventy thousand seats for a Royal Rumble. I mean it's not it's not like it's WrestleMania. It's not the biggest show of the year.
4: I don't even think it would matter if it was WrestleMania. Like, you know, the the name is the it's not the name selling the card; it's the matches selling the card, and that they just don't have enough depth. Um, I,
1: I think they can manipulate it though. I think I think you if you mark the return of Kevin Von Erich, there's three thousand fans. Terry Funk, Dory Funk, there's three thousand fans. You bring in Mil Mascaris, You bring in that one Worlds Collide Latina demographic. There's a maybe five ten thousand fans. You throw in Shawn Michaels. There,
4: there's, to there's not thirty-five thousand fans, though, is there? You know what I mean? Like you can you can do some Texas nostalgia, but I don't think that's that's doubling the gate.
1: No, but I think it's it's. I think you're on your way there versus the roster they have now. I think there's oh, a really
4: yeah.
1: budget. I mean i I think it's I think it's probably next to last year the most ill advised timing to run a huge stadium show since you know Hogan left. Um,
5: but I All guess right, that's. Right. I just try to Fun. think of the names they've got now that can carry a seventy thousand seat stadium show. Like, I mean, they'd have to book the Undertaker perfectly. That they, they, it's obviously going to go with. They, Austin they, Brecht. they've
4: been struggling. You know, I mean, I, I don't know their recent house show numbers, but they've been struggling for the last. They don't have anyone that can carry a seventy thousand seat show. That's what, saying, that's, that's,
5: what, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. That the booking would have to be so perfect. And grab so much attention for them to get anywhere near this amount of people.
4: And I, I feel Does like it... I feel thirty thousand seats would be ambitious right now. They're trying to double that. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, you know, I, I guess the the contingency plan and all of this, and they're going to do a lot of papering, no doubt. They're going to do a lot of cheap tickets. I don't think the Alamodome is the one thing alamodome has got going for it. It's not the most expensive building. It's for, for its size, which kind of helps it as well. They'll, they're they going to work as hard as they can to try and make this work just seems incredibly ambitious. and also the other thing as well as we say if they do bottle it there is a setup for that building for uh uh just it 25,000 seats is that the the secondary setup yeah
1: thereabouts for the Spurs yeah
4: yeah so so they have an out if it Right, it's not like they're they're completely done for. But Colin, I mean if we try and approach this logically, like I can't get the thirty thousand seats, let alone seventy. I can't do it. I can't make that argument.
5: No, it's you like you say, when you look at the business and the the numbers they've been doing on house show loops and stuff, it's it's a crazy idea to jump to seventy thousand tickets. It's it's just outrageous. I mean Shawn Michaels versus Sid is not going to sell 70,000 tickets.
4: No, and a, a, a remake of the Rocky story with Shawn Michaels and Jose Lothera isn't going to sell that many tickets, because I don't... Yeah, I mean, sure, people in the area might. I just don't think people generally care enough about lathera in this role. Um, no. But we, we, we've kind of said that already. Uh, Colin, the prospects of Sid as champion... Um, I think it was probably on balance a good mood to get it off Sean, given that he was just feeling a bit flat. Um, but Sid doesn't leave you many options. No.
5: Um, Sean Michaels needed to lose the title to help get a little bit of the edge back that he'd lost, because he had gone flat. The fans were turning against the idea of him as champion. Um, Sid, as champion, I mean, who would you put him in with, really? Uh
4: I guess Brett and Sean is the answer. in short. I mean,
5: well, yeah, Brett and Sean. I mean, Brett Hart is, Bret Hart is probably one of Sid's. You've got literally the two best in-ring workers, possibly in wrestling now, that are going to have to work with Sid in the next two months. So that's that's Sid's saving grace.
4: But even those aren't great matchups because.
5: But no, no, they're Sid,
4: not. They're not, great match-ups. Sid, you know, but they're not great pairings in the sense that Sid's right now. Like I you know, I don't even like you know, forget you know, I, I like the match i like those pairings from a from an in ring standpoint in the sense that Sid for a for a competent main event is gonna need a guard that can work around it, as we assured this month. But Sid diluted Sean's popularity, alright, yeah, I don't think you'll have that issue in Texas. But we've got an issue next month regarding Sid and Brett. And the the idea in part, or as they presented it, the idea in part behind the Survivor Series finish was that not only did it help protect Sean, but it also put a little bit of heat on Sid, and in theory it did. But I don't know that Brett doesn't get booed against Sid next month. That's I, another I, I don't problem.
5: I don't, I don't see Brett getting booed by fans against Sid. Is it much I, different than Sean getting booed? I, I think the fans like Bret Hart a lot more than they do Shawn Michaels. I think they... But, they, uh, they res- well, I, I, I think they respect Bret Hart more. I just think that
4: go, go back a year, go back less than a year, wasn't Bret getting booed against Diesel?
5: Yep, but then Bret's had six months off now. People have got short-term memories.
4: Okay. We'll see. Jeff, thoughts on on, on Sid Sid's prospects and his, his immediate matchups?
1: I, I mean for me I think they should have done the uh I mean I think Vader. I'd say I'd say if, if Batlin was the transitional champion from Brett to Diesel last year, or two years ago or yeah, two years ago, then this, this year you do Vader squash match, next raw, then you have a heel champion, you heat him up again. He squashes Sid, so he's an instant monster, and then you run with him. And whether it's him versus Michaels, him versus Tager, him versus Brett, you have alternatives and a hot champ. Vince never goes with the heel champ or traditionally always likes the babyface face champ, but I mean I would have I would have booked him to have that, you know, the same way Anoki did in New Japan, where he just comes in and crushes Anoki, uh, to start off. I know Vader was injured for his debut, but I think I think he's the hand you gotta go with.
4: I think he was. I mean, Jeff, would you go with him
1: now, though, or has they done
4: too much damage?
1: Could you imagine if on Raw they say Vader, Sid, for the title? The match starts, splash in the corner, power bomb, Vader bomb, pin. I think that. I think that heats him up. I think all of a sudden you've got him and Cornette running roughshod. Sid's not gonna. Sid's Sid's what he is. Vader has a lot more on the tank. You can. I think. I think if you squash Sid and sacrifice Sid. I think you rehab him a, a, a bit, good
4: enough. I, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I feel like you've got something with Sid. Like the the, the damage with Vader's already done. I'm not saying bin him. I'm just saying there's a case against just because you've you, you've kind of been there and he fell short. As we mentioned last month, they kind of Lex Luger him at SummerSlam. I like I. When we were discussing about Sid and Sean last month, I kind of said, just go with Sid, because it feels like you've got something. And, and it doesn't feel like WWF have had something for, for a while. But Sid, like, he solves a couple of problems and then he creates about five more. But now we're, we're almost in the same position we were in with Diesel a couple of years ago. Not that they've given Sid the title in the same way they gave it to Diesel. They gave Diesel the title with the view he's going to hold the title for, you know, 18 months or whatever it was. But the problem they've kind of got is the same thing, which is you've got this big babyface champion, but you've got no heels. And Jeff, I know what you mean. You could do it with Vader, and Vader might, might still well be the best shout. Austin would be the other one, although he lost. Um, and if anything, it would have made more sense for Austin to beat Brett, but I guess that's one for another time. Um, but the problem is, is the problem you've got, is the problem you have with, with Diesel. You've got Sid as the champion now. And you 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 want to put in main events, but he's not good enough to work main events. And so you've got to put in with the best workers you've got, and the best workers you've got are both baby faces. It's all a little strange, like, it, yeah, it all feels like square pegs and round holes. I don't feel like any of this makes sense. I guess we'll just see how it plays out. But I wouldn't be shocked if Brett got booed next month against Sid. Now you're not going to have that problem in San Antonio. Um, I guess the final question, Colin, if we assume that Sid makes it through Brett, who wins the Sid-Shawn match? Is that just the... Ov- Sean has to win that, right?
5: Yes, yes. There's, there's no doubt in my mind that Sean wins that. Um, they're not going to have Shawn Michaels lose, hopefully, in front of 70,000 fans. It's not going to
4: happen. You don't know. And then Brett wins the Rumble, and that's how we get to WrestleMania right,
5: 13. That makes sense to me. Although it it really does depend on how they book Brett and Austin.
4: Or if they book it. Uh, it, 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 In that kind of timeline, the Brett-Austin match doesn't happen. And I guess, yeah, I mean that that wouldn't necessarily be the worst thing in the world if Brett beats Sean at WrestleMania and then Austin's his big program going into next summer, having done something else with Austin. um, That wouldn't necessarily be the worst thing in the world, actually. Jeff, any more comments before we finish?
1: Um. Yeah. My only way to fill up that that uh, alabo dome would probably be to. What if they co-promoted with a, a Mexican company like AAA or CMLL? Well, they like to they, try to divert.
4: They did announce a partnership with uh, a, a, a Mexican company, and they could do. And yeah, I mean, yeah. Would it be enough though to sell seventy thousand? That's, that's the thing. Like, it's it's not like. AAA are going to Texas and selling out 70,000 seats, is it? I mean, I know what you mean, Jeff. Like, they should, in many ways, throw throw everything you've got, all of these extra things you can bolt on the side. But I don't know that that adds more than, you know, 10,000 seats to the gate. I don't know that that's, you know, oh, 10,000 is a lot of people, but our 70,000, it's not. And it's like, okay, you throw all the stuff you've got at it, you've still got to sell 50,000 seats off your own back. I don't think they've got anything that can do that. Um, I guess we'll see. I mean, as I say, if they get to the end of the summer and they're like, look, we've sold 17,000 tickets, let's just set up for 24 and have a really good show. 24,000 people is not a small amount of people. You could could have a show that looked great with 24,000 people. So in that sense, it's not the end of the world if it happens. It's just a bit of an ego hit. If you end up, say, we're going to, you know, they're the press conference, we're going to go to the Alamodome, 70,000 seats, and then you do 24, but you know, whatever. Anyway, that will wrap up this month's show. Firstly, a big thank you to Jeff Parker. You're welcome. <laughs> Uh Jeff, uh no, you, you that's I mean, uh we 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 found that out last time. uh yeah, Jeff, big thank you for as uh as always for coming on and and and, and we've learned if uh well if you never if you've been living under the rock or you've never heard a uh living under a rock or you've never heard a show like this with Jeff before, Jeff is Bret Hart's biggest fan. Or it's it seems like it. I'm and not. I am I am he is there we go. And uh uh a, a, a first show in Colin, two years? Is that about right? Yeah, I think it has been, yeah. Feels it's like it. It's been, been a while. while. Oh, well, you know, I mean, well, two years ago... Uh, I, I, the la- I
5: think the last show I did, we was talking about ECW, WWF and WCW all on the same show. And it's been uh, a while since
4: you've yeah. done that. Yeah, no, it has. You're right. Yeah, It, it might have been very beginning of um, of last year, on the end of 94, something like that. Uh, but yeah, it's been a long time. One of the uh, one of the originals back, which is uh, it's good to tell you back, Carl. But yeah, uh, people can find you on Twitter, kind of bemoaning Arsenal and WWE 2K16. Where?
5: At Colin Judkins.
4: Or even WWE 2K17, I suppose. Uh, that one. Yeah, you're, uh, that, that's all I can see at the moment. I'll still play tomorrow, so there is that. We've got a to forward to. Uh, anyway, yes, a reminder as always, uh, that you can find us on Patreon if you'd like to, you know, say a little thank you for us, you know, sticking a lot of podcasts in your ears every month, and discussing the highs and lows of wrestling, MMA, and this month boxing. Uh, for five bucks a month, where possible, we're offering early access to shows. I had two goes at editing WCW, or two planned attempts to edit WCW show this week. Um, and the National Rail in London just completely fucking failed me both nights. Uh, so that got edited about an hour before we came here to record this. So you know, it happens. Where possible, we provide early access to shows. Like like this and others for five bucks a month. Again, if you just want to say thank you, you can do that. You don't want to say thank you, that's more than welcome. You're more than happy to do that as well. But link in the podcast description on our website or on page.com forward slash wrestling 20YRS. Three of the shows for you this month. Volume number two takes to WCW looking at World War Three. And God, that World War Three bloody 60-man match. God, I went off on that a bit. Volume number three, ECW, November to remember, a quieter... To... ECW November to remember, by uh, perhaps normal standards, and volume number four, as Jim Ross mentioned quite a bit during some uh, survivor series. Main event, Tyson versus Holyfield. We spent about two hours discussing that in depth. That was a really good show, that. Anyway, uh, Wrestling21s.com. We're on iTunes. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're everywhere, really. The usual. It's all on the website. I've been Bob Bamba. This has been the volume one of the November 1996 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time,
0: Goodbye.